2: PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
3: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996
4: 1850 715 is the number to call. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. And of course, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Send us a message and mark it, if you would, for the attention of the opinion line. Well, at the appointed time of six bells, he stood up and he made his latest announcement.
5: We are now in a position to review the five-kilometre travel limit for people. From the 12th of April, that limit will no longer apply and people may travel within their county for exercise and recreation. From the 12th of April, two households will be able to meet outdoors for social and recreational purposes. We can also plan for a phased return of the construction industry from the 12th of April. On the 19th of April, some additional high-performance training will be permitted including senior inter-county GA training to facilitate National League competitions starting in May, as well as training for certain high-performing athletes approved by Sport Ireland in a range of other sports. From April the 26th, outdoor sports training for under 18s can begin again. Golf and outdoor tennis can be played and we will be able to access outdoor visitor attractions like zoos and wildlife parks. From the 26th of April, the number of mourners able to attend a funeral will increase to 25. Two people who have been fully vaccinated can meet again, indoors and outdoors, allowing our oldest citizens, who've had a particularly difficult year, to reconnect.
4: And that has started immediately. There was some confusion last night. You can do that now if you're fully vaccinated and you've had, they say, two weeks since your second dose. You can... Meet now, you and a friend. Uh, that's as of today, this vaccine bonus they're, they're talking about. There'll be more of those announced as we go along, so it looks like it'd be kind of a, a two-way street from now on, that the more of us have, vaccine, have vaccines, then the more, more of us will be able to do certain things. Adam Higgins joins me once again from the Irish Sun. Adam, good morning to you. Good morning, DJ. Was it pretty much as we expected when we were talking yesterday, or was there anything more or anything less?
6: Well, I think uh, a lot of the measures that were announced yesterday had been well flagged, but a couple of the surprises were around what the government kind of kind of flagged for the rest of the summer. We hadn't really, we didn't know that we were going to get a, a kind of a broad outline of what the rest of the summer will look like as the vaccination campaign rolls out and restrictions ease. And then also this change to the vaccine plan was a big surprise. To everybody yesterday.
4: Yeah, that's the change to do with cohorts based on age and a lot of people not happy about that at all
6: that's correct yeah so the just to explain the changes briefly for your listeners at the moment we have this 15 point plan where the, the population is split up into 15 cohorts and we're at the moment we're in and around i think cohort three and four doing the vaccinations at the moment which is over the age of 70 and people with uh high-risk medical conditions. So the re- the plan will stay as is until we get to cohort 9, which is people who are living in crowded uh, settings, so the likes of direct provision and that. But then the last six cohorts will be scrapped and replaced with an AIDS-based system. So when, when we get the crowded settings uh, cohort finished, we will then move to people between the ages of 64 and 55 and then 54 and 45 and work our way through. Yeah. But what that means is that the ed- there was a group there at, at cohort 11, which was the education sector, which was teachers, and then there was a group at, at cohort 10, the first group to be scrapped, which was essential workers. So you're looking at the likes of Gardy and that sort there. So th- those are the groups that I left angry about this, but the Taoiseach tried to kind of justify this yesterday by saying that this will make it quicker for older guardy and older teachers who are at a higher risk to the virus to get their vaccine quicker. While it will still delay, you know, say a 40-year-old guard or a 40-year-old teacher, hmm. they may have to wait longer than they might have in the old plan.
4: Now, the two Gardaí associations, uh, particularly AGSI and GRA, not happy at all. GRA president had called, I think, Mr Thornton talking this morning. They're not happy about this at all.
6: No, no. There, there has been a, a bit of a backlash, and every time the teacher or the, the government does these uh, big announcements, there is always a backlash from some sort of uh, announcement or sector or something that's been in a, that, that comes out in the in the press conference. And this is the big one this time. So you'll see that the teachers' unions as well have been out there furious that they're being deprioritised is what I would call it and so are the guardies. so that's something that we have to watch for now for the rest of the day because it will cause big problems for the Justice Minister Helen McEntee and the Education Minister Norma Foley and we know she's had a lot of trouble negotiating with unions so far already
4: At this stage she should know better than to mess with the teachers unions they may bear their teeth I think there's a lot of quiet sound. their conferences are coming up next week of course online there may be some teeth bearing by the teachers here
6: there, there probably will be and especially at those conferences you're right to point out they are the the, the the bits to watch and we we do expect all schools to come back on April 12th but I wonder was vaccination having a, a, a separate priority group in the vaccination plan part of the negotiations to get the stu- teachers back to school earlier this year and that's something that we'll have to watch now when it comes to uh those conferences that you rightly point out are coming up in the next week or two.
4: Ngarthi have no power in terms of unions. Their, their organisations can't take strike action. They can't take industrial action. Just nature of the, of the beast as it were. But they will not be happy and they are making their their voices heard.
6: They are, yeah. The AGSI and the GRA have been out of last night and again this morning saying that they're Completely unhappy with with what's happened here. They're, they're afraid that some GADY will fall far down the list. I mean, a young GADY now, uh, fresh out of Templemore, or a 30-year-old GADY say we'll we'll be way down the list. Probably won't get their vaccine until June or July now. At this stage,
4: now. On the subject of mandatory quarantine, it broke yesterday morning, Adam, that there was to be some change in the list of key countries. In fact, as many as 40 more could be added. Has that gone anywhere overnight?
6: So what's happened here is... um the way this process works is the NEFIT and the CMO will present a list of high-risk countries to the health minister that they feel should be added to the mandatory hotel quarantine system. Now, the list they presented to the, the minister yesterday was 43 countries long and included countries like the USA, Italy, Germany and France because of the virus situation there at the moment. Obviously that would cause a lot of uh, difficulties for Ireland because uh, hotel, there's about a thousand people coming in and out of the country every day And a lot lot of people will travel from those big countries in Europe and the USA. And does our hotel quarantine system have enough capacity to deal with an influx of 43 more countries? So that's a question that has to be answered. Now, what will happen next with this is uh, Minister Stephen Donnelly will sit down with the Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney and discuss this. And an updated list will be published in the coming days. But that's one to watch there, especially when it comes to countries like the USA and France, where there is a lot of travel.
4: Now, in terms of how this will be perceived, if there were an opinion poll taken up this morning or tomorrow morning, Adam, how do you think it will go down? What was the sense around the, the hallowed halls, as it were, last evening that this will, will will sit with the public in general?
6: Overall, I think this is probably the most optimistic uh, speech that the Taoiseach has given um, since he took office. I mean, there was... Uh, a lot of hope around it. I mean, you'll see a lot of the front pages today referencing his quote about the final stretch and this could be the end of it. We're, like, we're on the, the path out. Um, as Tisha rightly pointed out, over the past year, we've been talking about vaccines uh, as something that will happen in the future or that something that will happen you know, when we get more supply. But that's happening now. The next three months now are going to be really one of the most important quarters mm. in Modern Irish history. He, he
4: focused on that, Adam. I have a clip if you want to, to to stay there for a second. He 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 focused on that in in his speech yesterday.
5: The truth is that despite the difficulties with international supply, our national vaccination program is well underway. I expect that by the end of next week, we will have administered close to one million doses. Close to three million doses will be administered by the end of May. Nearly five million doses by early July. 6 million doses by the end of July. What does this mean for us in real terms? Well, towards the end of April we will examine the situation and in the month of May we will look at a phased reopening of non-essential retail, personal services, all non-contact sports training, religious services, museums, galleries and libraries and additional freedoms for those who are fully vaccinated. Towards the end of May, and depending on progress, we will look at the reopening of hotels, B&Bs and guest houses in the month of June. July and August will see more intensive vaccination and the vast majority of the population will have significant protection against the virus, allowing for significant opportunities to reopen even further.
4: Adam, there's a lot of stuff in there that he will be sincerely hoping he can hang his hat on
6: that's right yeah but yeah, i do have to point there that these are a lot these are quite conservative targets like the the, the vaccine targets are are ambitious uh, a million a month and and right out to the, the middle of the summer when he said 70% of people will be fully vaccinated by i think he said the end of june there but the reopening targets there the likes of hotels mm. um the hospitality sector and you'll notice he doesn't say inside dining he doesn't say right. sitting inside pubs these are these are probably going to be outdoor dining in the summer. And you'll see today that uh, Catherine Martin's department are announcing a 17 million plan to help restaurants uh, fund new, you know, parasols and outdoor dining areas. So, I mean, we had all this last summer, you know, we had all this um, last year. And that's without vaccines and with the virus around, you know. So these are quite conservative reopening tags that they're going to stretch right out until July there. So I think they, they can be achievable, yeah. but everything really hinges on vaccine supply.
4: Yeah, and if those vaccine numbers, as those vaccine numbers come up, he's going to come under huge pressure to open up the pubs, open up the restaurants, open up the hotels, get the hospitality trading again. He's going to come under massive pressure uh, as those numbers go up.
6: That's right, yeah, The lobby will kick in as the vaccine goes up. But I think the numbers to, to really watch out, there's four numbers really that the government will consider when it comes to reopening. And one, yes, is the vaccine number, but there'll also be hospitalizations, yeah. which we saw drop below 300 today. There will be the ICU number, which is still hanging around at about 70. And then those daily case numbers, which is a key indicator, and they are still quite high as regards mm. to where we were last year. And a lot of that the government says is because of this B117, the the UK variant, which is yeah. still hanging around. So that may make it a bit slower than well, it was. Well, there's a the
4: thing. Is, uh, is there any appetite, do you know, Adam, or has it been discussed at all, uh, for regional relaxation? On the base? I, I do the numbers here with, with the listeners quite frequently, and we look at the daily chart that Neffet sends out, and yesterday alone, I haven't looked at this morning now, but yesterday alone... Of the bottom ten on that chart, seven had had what they call a zero day, less than five cases. Like there are parts of the country, Cork and Kerry, being included, where that numbers are very, very low. Is there any so any sign of regional relaxations even being considered?
6: To give you a straight answer, yes, there is, and and not, whether I consider that at a, at a government level, not yet. But you'll see every week at the the parliamentary party meetings between Fianna Gael and Fianna Fall And you'll also see probably later on today, and if not today, tomorrow in the Dá, several uh, TDs from across the country are standing up fighting their corner for their county to ease restrictions on a regional basis. And I think those voices will grow louder and louder as more counties come down to that COVID zero level that you mentioned for Cork and Kerry or low levels mm. that they have at the moment. So We I think had, a, we had 15,
4: or I think 15 or 18, I can't remember which, cases yesterday in a population of half a million, which is extremely low. Like
6: It is, it is. But I do have to point out that we tried this last summer, you'll remember, with regionalised lockdowns on Lee Shuffley and Kildare, and it didn't really work that, that yeah. level uh, spread across the country still. And we have to lock down a nationwide then again for the sure. second wave. Yeah, But they're going to come under pressure. Listen, Adam, thank
4: you. We will talk again. Uh, we will talk again, I've no doubt. Adam Higgins, political correspondence for the Irish Sun. I do hope to speak later this morning with Frank Thornton, who is president of the Garda Representative Association. Um and uh, said Cunningham of AGSI not available to us this morning, but we will speak with the Garda representatives, which is, of course, the biggest uh, body uh, representing the, if you want, the rank and file members of An Garda Shekhana. 1850 715996, Joss says if anyone actually thinks people are sticking to the current rules, they need to wake up and have a look around them. The government saying you can meet another household outdoors but no indoors or garden meetings. Where are their heads? can't come on, but uh, thank you. So, Kev says, I can drive to Baltimore for a spin, but I can't go to Limerick. It's only eight kilometres away. That's as useful to me as a chocolate teapot. Actually, Kevin, I know this is about seeing your daughter, isn't it? I think you might get away with it there because there is a provision where if you live close to the border of another county, you can go up to 20 kilometres into that county. So you might be able to get away with it on that that's and that's from next that's from the the 12th of 12th of um April. I think there's some provision in there to allow for that. We we can double check. Charlie says how are mobile home parks fixed going forward following this announcement. I do not know Charlie is the answer. There must be loads of people now who from the 12th of April will think right, can I start going back down? to the caravan in Onahinsha or in Yall at the weekends and my reading of this is that you can I don't know, we'll have to check that one too uh, on email to opinion 96 me can how every other country in Europe clearly states how many million vaccines are ordered uh, for their population in Ireland we don't know it's a question to be answered did someone forget to order before Christmas, that's another question. I think in terms of the order who that is, I don't know. When it says that the EU has ordered X million, well we get one percent of that. So if the order for if if the European Union orders a hundred million doses of a vaccine, we get one point one percent of that. So we get just over excuse me, just over one million of those. Plenty questions, let's see if we can get some answers 18.50,
7: The drama is sensational That's 80, oh, oh! he's done it.
8: It's an equaliser, it's stoppage
7: time And it's all right here Greenish <laughs> for seven Join me, Trevor Welsh, on 96fm.ie for the Premier League Live Online, powered by Talksport. Go, go. Be fully charged and I'm ready to go. We're back broadcasting live on April 3rd. League winners, top four and relegation. Don't miss our coverage of the action as the season heads towards a climatic finish. Go, go. Be fully charged and I'm ready to go. The Premier League Live Online. With
0: Now, stream all the action from Sky Sports with a Now Sports membership. Go,
3: go.
7: Listen every Saturday on the Corks 96FM app or c
3: 96FM.ie. This is Corks Gold, Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850
0: 715
3: 996.
4: On Corks 96FM. Marie or Mary, what about the hairdressers? Any word on when they might reopen? Looks like May, Marie or Mary. Uh, looks very much like May for that personal service when you hear them saying personal services that's kind of what they mean so that's looking like May uh, Caller said all the wonderful staff working in supermarkets and shops should be vaccinated they were so good to ensure we would get our groceries it's, it's another view the, certainly the guards and teachers very very unhappy personally and we here as a programme team ha- have backed the cause all the time of the Gardaí being vaccinated. I think it's because of the closeness to the Garda work that our job brings us and our job as journalists and reporters brings us very close to the work of the Garda and the kind of carry-on that they've had to put up with every weekend uh, the risk of of a guard, and I told you here on Monday about a guard that I'd met um, just at a checkpoint. I was heading home and there was a checkpoint on the road I told him I was heading home, and he recognised who I was, and it happens sometimes. And we were talking, and I said, uh, you know, I said, How are we? I said, look, he said, I have a young fella at home. I said, I wouldn't say where this checkpoint was, and I won't say where the guy was from. I had no intention of that. But he said, look, I have a young fella at home, he said, and I'm wor- worried. i compromised, all that, you know. I, I don't want to bring this damn thing home. And that struck a chord with me. Um, and Mags, who's on our Twitter all the time, We're married to a guy there, and I think Magus' kids are, I mean, one of them at least is immunocompromised. That, that's the problem you have. 1850-715-996. Now, not everyone's unhappy. Not everyone's unhappy. I spoke to Atakan earlier in the week. Uh, he has got a thing called Addison's disease, and uh, not I want once a vaccine because getting COVID would be a big problem for him. I spoke to Atakan earlier in the week. I've been speaking to him again this morning. Atakan, you were on with me the other day uh, explaining how your Addison's disease should make you a priority for vaccination. At that stage, you would no idea when you were going to get a jab. You now do know. Yep,
9: yeah, that's correct. Um, Coincident, yeah. after I was talking to you on the radio uh, almost two days ago now, about two or three hours later, I was called, um, my mother actually was called by the hospital to say that I would be put on a list to get a, a COVID-19 vaccine. So it's kind of been... She's kind of been ringing them all the time trying to find out what would, would I be on the list and they said that they, they were compiling a list together. But then eventually, thankfully, then two days ago they completely compiled the list together and they were able to put my name down on the list. And also I'm aware that other Addisonians which suffer with the same uh, disease as me have been put on the list too.
4: Do you have a date yet?
9: Oh, yeah. Um, In approximately an hour and a half time now, I'm getting my first uh, dose of a COVID-19 vaccination.
4: That quickly? That's brilliant.
9: Oh, it's absolutely amazing. I didn't expect it at all to be this fast because I thought with the problems with uh, not having a national registries for diseases and so on and rare diseases being forgotten, I thought that this could be maybe summer, maybe two, three months down the line because there's still people that I know in Dublin now that have still been given no clarity as to when they're getting the COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah. Their endocrinologist, who's the uh, consultant responsible for looking after their uh, Addison's disease, has said that he still does not know where they are in the cohort list. But that was like yesterday. Yeah.
4: That's, that's a great change and you must be thrilled.
9: Oh, absolutely. I, I was actually I'm um, doing work placement remotely from home and I was just doing work and um, it was actually my mother's phone that we got the phone call and when I saw heard who it was, I was absolutely thrilled. I was ecstatic. I straight away, when they asked me, would I take a vaccine? I said, 100% any time. I do not mind if it's 10, uh, 10 minutes away, any time. Yeah. And I would say that to anyone.
10: Remind
4: that me again, again. Makes... what age are you, bud?
9: Um, I'm 21, uh, PJ.
4: Okay. Now, seeing you, I know your man keeps well across current affairs and news, you know now they've changed it, that it'll be based on age from here on in, which means that thousands of guards now will not be vaccinated for months on end. What do you think of that?
9: Oh yeah, that that's a very, very I think that that's a change that's not been good enough. I know there's not a lot of comments that have said that, oh this change is very good, but just let's think of the guardian, the teachers let's think of them essential workers that have done their job throughout this pandemic and let's not also forget teachers, they've to teach in the second tightest classrooms in the whole of the EU with little to no social distancing in some schools. And of course, as you mentioned, the Gardaí have to be given more attention in the vaccine rollout. Every day they're on the front line uh, helping us out each day. Some days I've even seen Gardaí deliver elderly people their medication and That's deliver right. food. So, That's right. of course, the Gardaí need to be given more attention and the government needs to recognise that these essential workers are all they all need to be prioritised.
4: You have a good day today and good luck with your injection. Take care of yourself. we we'll talk to you soon.
9: Thanks again, PJ.
4: Great result for Adikan on the phone with me Monday and now he's getting his injection this morning. Um, it's great. That's I'm just delighted for the lad. It means so much to people to get that news that they're getting their uh, their vaccine. It really, really does. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. one five nine nine six It's... N- I suppose it's fair to say not everybody is is really disappointed with yesterday. I'll come back to the thing with regard to the guards and others, and also uh, the the whole children's shoes issue. What is it with governments and children's shoes? What is it with Finnegale and children's shoes? Do you know, every time they're in government, there's a there's a row over children's shoes. If you know your political history, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but from today people who are all fully vaccinated can start to meet up. But that's a good positive. That's a really good positive. And from the 12th, you can go wherever you want in our beautiful county of Cork. If you want to go for a spin to Yall or want to take a trip down to Baltimore or want to drive anywhere you like in our lovely count, county of Cork, the biggest county in Ireland, we can do that from the 12th of April, which is that's great. That's People would be very, very happy with that. You'd have to say they would. What about hairdressers and stuff like that? That'll be May. That was always going to be May. Uh, At the risk of sounding like I told you so, but I did. I remember coming back here after Christmas. We were gone into the lockdown. I said, We're stuck here. We're stuck here, lads, until until Easter and beyond into May. Uh, Hopefully, not too far into the summer. But I'd like to know how you feel in general about what we heard yesterday. What it is that that means to you uh, how important it is, for example, to be able to go beyond the 5K from the 12th of April. How, how do you feel about yesterday? Drop us a voice note if you want. wait 396 ninety six ninety six on WhatsApp. If you've not got time to write a big long text or if you've not got time to come on the air and take a call, pop us a voice a voice note uh, to tell us how you're feeling. 1850-715-996. <laughs>
3: Simon Murdoch And the best music mix
0: Weekdays from midday On Cork's 96FM It's the show that helps you Through your afternoon in Cork With all your favourite tunes Anything that's happening Leeside, I'll bring it to you There's always chances for you to win I'm delighted just make my day And sure we have to squeeze in A little
11: bit of silliness as well,
7: right? Licky, licky, licky Let me show you what it's
3: all about Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. with
0: Sean Cusack Insurance's Conseil, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie on
3: Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
8: Text or WhatsApp now. Oe 96 96.
3: on Corks 96 FM. Personally the thoughts of being able to go
4: for a spin Anywhere in the county uh, After the 12th of April I love that You And I I don't want to be relying on the fact that we have An exception for for our son I I don't like relying on that Because it sets me out from other people And I don't like that Um, So to be able to go anywhere we want On a Sunday afternoon And maybe, okay, there will be nowhere open When we get there There won't be any pubs or restaurants or anything open for a while but it'd be nice to be able to pick up a few sandwiches in the deli, just you know, have an afternoon out, That that that's nice, that's that's really nice 1850 just on the vaccination situation again, uh, Leo Varadkar was on primetime last night where he was interviewed by Miriam O'Callaghan with regard to the vaccination situation which now effectively means that a Person working from home, a healthy person working from home, aged maybe 50 or 45, will be vaccinated before a 35 year old Garda out there on the front line. Or a healthy person working from home will be vaccinated before a 24 year old SNA working in very close contact with children. So a lot of people are not happy with that. It was raised with him on primetime last night by Mary McCallaghan.
0: There are lots of people who have a strong case and a very compelling case. You know, teachers in front of a classroom, Gardaí who, because of their work, have to come into close contact with people, retail workers, but for they're example. they're
12: not going to be
9: prioritised uh,
0: now. No, because we're going with the science and we're going with the medicine on this. And if you look at this from a scientific point of view, and putting my doctor's hat on here, um, th- s- say you've a 35-year-old old Garda or a 35-year-old teacher, um, are they at more risk or less risk than a 60-year-old factory worker or a 60-year-old retail worker? It's actually a 60-year-old. That's the discussion that's being had. And it's Kevin
4: makes the point on Twitter where he said, look, I'm just playing devil advocate or devil's advocate. Age doesn't discriminate. Uh, who's more at risk, the 30-year-old Garda or a 65-year-old ready to retire? Who's more likely to get hit harder with covid which is one of the discussions being had. Elbert Toomey's been tweeting about this this morning. Elbert, you're not happy. Good morning.
13: No, I'm not. Good morning, PJ. I'm not. I think it's disappointing. The guards, the teachers, the SNA, the postmen, the shop assistants, the delivery drivers, priests, postmasters, they're the people who have kept the country open Yeah. and functioning with the last 12 months. Yeah. And like, in all fairness, one of their, if you were to con- contact Trace with a guard and contract trace with me, who was meeting nobody other than my parents. Do you know what I mean? I just think it's... I appreciate the over-70s, of course. My goodness, they're the most vulnerable and the people who have serious illness, Hmm. you know, cancer patients and whatever. But I do think after that, if nothing else, would it not be a token of thanks and respect to all these frontline warriors (laughs) for all they've done?
4: I suppose you do have to take science into account, though, Elber. And realistically, someone getting COVID at the age of thirty, if they're otherwise fit and healthy, has a far better chance of just getting over it, like it was a bad flu, than someone who's sixty or sixty-five. Do you know what I mean?
13: I yeah, the I science says that that, yeah.
4: that 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 age is your friend with COVID generally speaking. So I suppose there is that, there is that to be taken into account.
13: There is, but I suppose you need to look at, like the person at 60 is possibly able to mind themselves better and keep, do you know?
4: Yes, yes, I do see your point. I do see your point. And you have thousands of shop workers and you have thousands of truck drivers and thousands of guards, all these people who've kept us going through the, when we had nothing else, we had the postman. When we had nothing else, we had the guard.
13: And I think if nothing else, would it not be token of thanks and respect to them to at least prioritise them rather than just leaving them as the same as myself, do you know?
4: Fair point, Albert, thank you very I much mean, I suppose you do ask yourself the question like, here you are, and I'm not going to ask your age but here you are and you you may be above the, the, the local Garda on the list of priorities but you say, no, no, give it to him first is that what I'm hearing? Oh,
13: absolutely, yeah oh my god Papers. I mean, I think like they like if if you just think it, the knock-on effect of the the guard or the shop assistant who gets it, all their contacts. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And plus, I think it's it's disrespectful to be honest. Yeah, I do. I think it's disrespectful for all they've done for us in the last twelve months in unprecedented times.
4: Okay. Elbert, thank you. Good to talk to you. Hope you're keeping well. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Now there is the thing. Like, the local, the frontline worker, let's, 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 and we're in, this radio program is listened to in hundreds of shops and supermarkets. I'm thinking in particular, actually, of a place my daughter works from time to time, JJ, in JJ O'Driscoll's in, in Ballinlock. Huge supermarket, massive catchment area. All the staff in there, they're effectively frontline workers since day one. I'm thinking of big super values all over the place, and centras, and, Tesco's and Dunn's, all those people they're all effectively on the front line because when all we could go for was essential groceries they were the people that sold us the essential groceries and do they deserve to be pushed down the list? Now on the basis of their youth and most of them are very young Covid probably wouldn't do them any harm but who's to say that they won't bring it home to someone more vulnerable? Uh, Lord Mayor of Councillor Joe Kavanaugh is he there, Fergal? Release it, if you can give it to me. Um, was on with me last week and the week before, and he's been calling for it for a number of weeks to prioritise uh, the, the Gardaí uh, And he's on, he's on again there. Just as soon as I get the line, I'll, I'll take it. Um, the, the list now is... OK, there's nine sections now, or cohorts. There's nine sections. Numbers one and two are done. People aged 85 and over, frontline healthcare workers. Actually, my dentist was telling me yesterday he and his staff have been done, and that's rightly so, frontline healthcare workers, of course. The people aged 70 and over, they're at that at the moment. Uh, They'll have all of them got their first dose by May. Then the people like Atakan, 16 to 69, with a medical condition that puts them at high risk, they're being done. Then they have people aged 65 to 69 with an underlying condition. That's number four and five. And then, working down, uh, 65 to 69, Anne says, I'm convinced the Taoiseach is pushing us out to June, July, August, when more people will be vaccinated. I'm convinced, she, she someone forgot to order the vaccines on time, and the question hasn't been asked. It's sad because there's only 5 million of us, and they never said when half will be fully vaccinated. Anne, we get them in a guaranteed shipment as regards what the EU has bought. At least that's solid, but the EU purchasing hasn't gone the way we'd hoped it had gone at all. We should have bought our own. Fair point. 1850-715-996. I will come back to this, but today is the International Transgender Day of Visibility. And it's being marked by various events and festivals online, of course, around the world. And I just want to bring in Sarah O'Herlihy. Sarah is a very, very... A strong advocate for the uh, rights and recognition of uh, transgender, because of course both uh, both Chloe and Jamie have have trans has transitioned. Sarah, good morning to you.
13: Hi, PJ. How are you?
4: Good, good. Good. We've spoken many times to 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 Jamie on this program, um, but a, a mom of of two young trans people, you you've been their strongest advocate.
1: Yes, I have. Yeah. It's um yeah, it's not an easy thing to do in a in a society that kind of puts everybody into a, a binary gender and closes the door on it. So, um yeah, I think um yeah, they came out kind of in their early teens. Mm. Um but I I think, you know, if they had been given the chance or the the knowledge that uh you know, there are transgender people in the world, people who don't identify with male or female uh, pronouns. Uh, you know, that's, they might have come out a bit sooner than that, you know. But, um,
4: As a parent, Sarah, mm-hmm. when your child comes to you and reveals something like this, how do you take it in? Did you know or did you have have a sense... Before, was it Jamie came to you first?
1: Um, Yes, Jamie, well, Chloe kind of said, you know, that she was gender fluid, and very often, you know, that 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 can be, it's not necessarily, but um, that would be, that was Chloe's first step, really, to kind of start exploring the gender that she was born with, and, um, or... You Know stereotypically yeah. born into, um, but Jamie came and said that she was transgender, and um, yeah, I suppose she had been dressing up in drag and stuff, and you know, not to put um, a gender on dressing up in clothes that you know, um, skirts and things like that, yeah, and dresses, yeah. and putting things on her head, having long hair and, um, you know. So I suppose I did question that because when she went into secondary school, all of that stopped. And I just, yeah, I did wonder, like, was she okay? And then she started doing drag. And um, as she's probably told you herself before, that she, you know, that wasn't good enough. She was coming home and getting out of it and having to live... Um, uh, as um, her signs yeah, ginger at yeah. birth, she so said to me
4: that it, it just didn't feel like no. it, it. Felt like making excuses. Kind of, it felt like sort of. Well, I can do this and get away with it. But this is not. This is not where I want to be. I want to go the whole, the whole, the whole way. Yeah, yeah. her
1: was important to. Um, yeah, transition from male to female. Yeah,
4: by all um, accounts, by all accounts, she has a a haul of shoes now that rival Imelda Marcus.
1: <laughs> I don't know where she got that from. I like no interest. But um, even as very young kids, they're always into, you know, just yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how did you
4: family. feel when first? When, when, when they, you know, they bring the. First of all, it must be inc- feel incredible as as a mom to be so loved and trusted that they'll bring this to you. But, but how do you feel for them? And I'm supposed I'm thinking in terms, Sarah, now of some parent, mom or dad, but who is concerned that their child may be about to approach them or has indeed approached them, and how do they deal with it?
1: Yeah, I suppose it is really. Uh you know, it is a privilege if a child goes to a parent and um, you know, has the bravery and kind of strength to say that, you know, because the risk of rejection can be quite big for a lot of people, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um I think because I had kind of gone through them with the journey of them coming out, I came out a few years previous to that and uh, well, in my thirty early thirties, and um, so I suppose I understand how it is, you know, to share that information, and then, um, you know, it, it's hard. It's it, I think it's because you go through kind of a, a stage before that where you're quite confused. You're not sure. You know, it's um, it is quite scary. You know, when you live. Were in
4: a- you worried for them?
1: Um, I think I was, yeah, and at the beginning, especially with Chloe, I used to um I used to walk down Patrick Street with her and I could see people glaring at her and looking at her in a very different way and that really scared me. Um because I just feel like it's nobody else's business whether you're a man or a woman or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or whether you're gender, whether that gender, it's none, nobody's business, mm. you know. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, I heard um, years ago on the radio, I heard a man say that, you know, it was a case of either he had a gay son or he had a son that died by suicide. And I just think that's really, it really stuck with me, you know, mm. that actually... I want my children to be able to come and tell me what whatever going on for them you know. Yeah.
4: You everything. want to get to, you want to get to a, a point in your relationship with your child and that doesn't matter whether they're 7 or 17 or 27 or 37 mm-hmm. indeed that yeah. they can come to you with anything.
1: Yeah, absolutely anything that's going on for them you know because you know they're going through it on their own like it is a very lonely journey and um, the more support you have mm-hmm. and especially from a parent who just accepts and loves them you know and that's really what they're looking for is some somebody to see them to actually understand that um you know what they're going through is and can be a struggle you know yeah. i think it just makes their journey easier yeah. if they have somebody who can they say look
4: I suppose, as a parent myself I wonder how I'd deal with it if it came to me. My concern would always be God, this is a very cruel world. And were you fearful of the cruelty?
1: I was, yeah, I was. I suppose you'd hear it in the media and stuff about, especially, um, yeah, black trans women seem to be huge targets of um, abuse and and murder in America especially but you know so I suppose I was worried about them and they have gone through a lot you know but um, I think the good thing for them is that they have each other and yeah. um, that's really
4: important but what, you know. What does it say about our society also Sarah and I think this is a positive thing you may or may not agree with me that 10 years ago, or even 7 years ago, when mm-hmm. when I started presenting this programme, it would have been a lot harder for you and I to have this conversation so openly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, um, yeah, I think Tenny have done a lot of work. Um, and... Um, Remind listeners and who Tenny are again. Tenny are uh, the Transgender Equality Network Ireland. Ah, oh, yes. And... um yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think they've done a lot of work, but I think also that the young people have, you know, they're they're more open-minded, and I think when they see their peers coming out or you know exploring their gender, mm. um, I think it is really important that they do that anyway. But it's great, you know, over the last. I heard a
4: conversation recently between two young women um, whose friend had come out as trans. And all they were concerned about, where'd the bitch get them shoes? (laughs) Where'd she get them shoes?
1: I know, but I suppose it's not like that. But that's more
4: their mentality in terms of the acceptance. They don't care. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, some people do, and some people have a hang up about it. And you know, we've been born into a, a society that believes that there are binary genders, and so they completely ignore, you know, non-binary people, gender fluids, and you know, it happens in sex as well. People think that it's just male and female, and so the intersex community are completely eradicated. So, like, it's you know, it's um it's important to uh, to have open discussions and, you know, know that I suppose really we need to educate ourselves more on, mm. on it, you know. All and, right. um, well, yeah.
4: Well, I don't think in all the years, I've, I know I've spoken many times to, to Jamie, but I've never had an opportunity to talk to you. I'm delighted to have it today, Sarah, uh, and thank you very much for that. My yes, best sir. to them both. My best to both Jamie and, and Chloe and indeed to any other parents who are in Sarah's position, thank you very much that's Sarah O'Hurley. There is a family support line that Tenny operates, I think if this day of all days we should mention it and it is 01 907
3: 3707 The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM
4: is the number to call. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Also pop a voice note in there to us if you want to do that. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. And the Twitter is at Opinion Line 96 Remember, if you missed anything in the first hour of our program this morning, you'll be able to pick it up on podcast, which will be available to you from mid-afternoon. First thing we do is we tweet the link once the podcast has been generated, and then it's automatically dropped to all of your platforms, including the Cork's 96FM app. So if you subscribe, and that is absolutely free, you get our show automatically uh, every afternoon. And a lot a lot of, of people, an awful lot of people, listen to us on podcast, uh, it, literally in the four corners of the world. In fact, I should just tell you, I, I woke up this morning uh, to a lovely message uh, from Rebecca Saunders. You'll remember Rebecca was on the show with me on Monday in the wake of the piece that appeared in the Examiner by Liz Dunphy and the podcast that was released at the weekend uh, by the Examiner. Um, Rebecca spoke to me here Monday about the you know, the story as it has unfolded since the death of Clarissa in 2013 and it was an interview that a lot of people were quite taken by quite, it was one of those you know, sit down make a cup of tea and listen and a lot of people have listened back to it a lot of people just pulled in if they were out driving and just listened to this remarkably strong woman. I had a lovely message from her during the night um, because of the six-hour time difference. Uh, She was delighted with the interview. She's had a lot of support to it. And in response to it, she has started, and in response to the examiner stuff, she has started a Twitter account called At Clarissa's Cause. And she's hoping to rally support for the process of exhuming her little daughter, which we discussed on Monday. Now, the the Twitter account is only in its infancy. When I looked at this morning, she's only got a half a dozen followers. But she wants to help us, or wants us to help her spread the word. More than happy to do so. So, if you were taken by Rebecca Saunders' interview, and a lot of people were, and you're interested in her pursuit of this dream that she has, and it is a dream to take Clarissa home exhume the coffin, take her home then you can follow her now on Twitter at Clarissa's Cause at Clarissa's Cause 1850 lots of comments on the vaccine rollout and lots of comments on the restrictions and the lifting thereof yesterday remind me to read to you from the Irish Times in a wee while uh, I said yesterday that in the past Neffet has been ignored or elements of what Neffet said has been ignored. There was a stark warning from Neffet yesterday. Don't ignore us here. Do it this way, and don't go against us. Very stark warning from Neffet yesterday. I'll get to that in a while. But as regards the vaccines, I'm joined by the president of the Garda Representative Association, representing, as they say, rank-and-file Garda, Frank Thornton. Frank, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Frank, how many Garda do you represent
14: over 12,500.
4: 12,500. And how did you and your members feel yesterday when you saw the list, the vaccination cohort list?
14: Oh, we were absolutely infuriated and uh, the feeling the ground is, is we're, we're just absolutely dismayed at the the change to the vaccine programme. Um, like this change effectively downgrades our profession and completely ignores the risks and ex- exposures we have as frontline members policing this pandemic. Like. Yesterday's decision, you know, which lacks logic uh, and consultation and transparency, it portrays a a shocking, shocking disregard for frontline members who have been and continue to be a key element of the government's fight to suppress this virus and and any new variant. Mm
4: -hmm. I want to play for you a clip. I played it for my listeners earlier on. The Tornish delay of Aradco was on primetime last night. And, and he was asked about the change in the list, and I just want to play that clip back for you, and 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 then and then we'll speak about it. Just hear this.
0: There are lots of people who have a strong case uh, and a very compelling case. You know, teachers in front of a classroom, Gardaí who, because of their work, have to come to close contact with people, retail workers, but for example. But they're not going
12: to be prioritised uh, now. N-
0: n- no, because we're going with the science and we're going with the medicine on this. And if you look at this from a scientific point of view, and putting my doctor's hat on here, um, th- s- s- say you've a 35-year-old Garda or a 35-year-old teacher. Um, are they at more risk or less risk than a 60-year-old factory worker or a 60-year-old retail worker? It's actually a 60-year-old. Now, the science
4: says, Mr. Taunton, that your 35-year-old colleague is at less risk of someone who's 60. What do you say to that?
14: What we say is what we've asked for since uh, the 18th of March was, uh, when we met the Minister. We're seeking a meeting with NIAC? And uh, when we have it thought uh, to get a clear understanding as to what methodology or matrix they used to categorise members of Engadine and after when we were placed at number ten mm. on the previous priority list, like all members want clarity, and it's the very least that that we deserve. Like this government are hiding behind the word signs. I haven't a clue. And my colleagues haven't a clue. Those who have gone to bed from working last night, like you were talking there just before I came on about you received a text, you know, you woke up to a text. I woke up to a text to a member from a member who said, who's hoping to God that um, when he attended a public audience since last night um, and, and obviously I keep the details confidential um, that he hadn't contracted the virus and We bring it home as he went to bed to his family. Like that is an environment that we should not have to walk under. Like the anxiety and the stress that members are 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 walking under at the minute is unmeasurable. Mm. And this this flippant roadmap that now has changed yesterday, with no consultation, like for us and and for me and for my colleagues to find out about this through media is a disgrace and this government. Is that how you found out, Frank? Absolutely. I was, um, I was in the car and I received a phone call and I knew absolutely nothing about it. And obviously we, we were, um, as an officer board and the secretary, we were talking amongst ourselves and we were trying to figure out the rationale behind it ourselves. It is a disgrace how they're Is It is a disgrace how this governments are treating members of Angada Shikana.
4: Now, the teachers are also unhappy uh, that many of their younger members won't be vaccinated for quite some time, but the teachers have some very, very powerful unions uh, and if they bare their teeth we, we've seen what happens. But GRA, uh, AGSI you don't have that kind of power. There's, there's not a whole lot you can do about this, Frank Thornton.
14: I wouldn't say that. I think what we, what we can do, what we need to do, and we are doing um, at lunchtime today, is we are going to campaign, the office board um, and we're going to discuss the roadmap. And maybe that includes the other uh, associations as well within the Ngarashi and maybe it's time that there's a collective in this because this is, as I said to you it is not acceptable. It will never be accepted. Um, And and again and I know that you know the the vast majority of of your listenership will agree, we don't wish to pit ourselves against anybody or any other group, but we do need to raise our grave concerns on the safety and well-being of our members and the public as well because when we're responding to calls the public need to be satisfied that we're not superspherous, we're not asymptomatic, and we're not spreading this virus.
4: That's another point. That is another point, Frank, that hadn't occurred to me. That if you're called, for example, to an incident involving like your colleague was there last night, public order, you know, how 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 are they to know that you haven't also passed it on? To someone or if you're called to a house where a person's in distress after a robbery or something, how are you to know you're not passing it on to them and causing them more problems they already have?
14: Exactly. And as I said with the text that I woke up to this morning, you know, like it's like we shouldn't have to walk under this stress and under this anxiety. And like to put us like when we are the second pillar in this response, apart from the HSC or front line, whereas front lines you're going to get and then, you know, we're now being told that we're no more at risk than someone who can walk from home. Absolutely disgraceful and it 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 it's starved of logic.
4: Okay. So there will be more on this where where like you're not going to take this lying down is what I'm very clearly hearing. No, we're not. And you're obviously precluded from any kind of industrial action, but could it be a thing that members or indeed the GRA won't um, won't agree with, you know, Manning checkpoints and things like that.
14: That's a matter for the executive, you know, and I would always take my direction from them, and, and that's right, you know, each member of the executive... Yeah, but you, a,
4: you're, you're uh, a member of the executive yourself, or you sit with the executive yourself yeah, as president, yeah. Trink. is is that the I, mood?
14: The, the mood, the the, the morale of, of the full-time members is absolutely on the floor, and that has been portrayed to me since yesterday evening and that will be discussed at lunchtime today with the, with the office of board.
4: Okay, thank you very much and we'll maybe talk again in the future. That's Frank Thornton, President of the Garda Representative Association. The mood on the ground, very, very dark this morning. They're not allowed to go on strike. We know this. Gartha, you're not allowed to go on strike. We came very close to it a few years ago over pay. Do you remember that? Over a piddling amount of pay. We came very close to it. But their Their executive and their board will meet virtually, obviously, today, Uh, they're not happy, not happy at all. Lord Mayor Joe Kavanagh, uh, hard to blame them, isn't it? Good morning, Joe.
10: Good morning, PJ, and thank you for your continued support on this this critical issue. And like, as you say yourself, like, we shouldn't really even be having this conversation because Mm. the Gardaí should have been vaccinated as a matter of priority months ago. Um, All 11,000 of them, as, as you quite correctly say yourself. Um, mm. You know, obviously the frontline medical staff, the medically vulnerable over 80s and over 70s, obviously will all be forced to be vaccinated because they are the most vulnerable in society. And the
4: guards themselves quite happy to accept that, yeah.
10: And quite happy to accept it and quite happy to put their own health on the front line 24-7. As, as, as has been outlined on your show over the last few weeks, the Guardi don't know 24-7, what they're going to face, minute by minute. They're in a very vulnerable... The Garda-she-con a piece. If you've got an issue or a problem, if anyone has an issue or a problem, the first phone call you make is to a guard. It's at a local Garda station. It doesn't matter what it is. You're tipping your car. If there's antisocial behaviour, which there'll be complaints to the Garda station, the Garda respond all the time to the best of their ability and put themselves out there. They've been protecting society for generations. And now we have, we have um, an obligation to ensure that they are protected, um, mm. because they're out there protecting us on the front line.
4: Now, Joe, um, your, your 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 party, of course, I don't need reminding you, your party is in government. Have you, yeah. as Lord Mayor of Cork, as our first citizen, have you conve- uh, conveyed your dissatisfaction up the line to the Minister for Justice?
10: I haven't been on to the Minister for Justice as yet, but I intend to. I intend to just convey my opinion. Now, um, obviously I heard uh, the Tainiste last night mm. uh, obviously um, he, he says made...
4: science dictates that Science
10: dictates, yeah and look, I'm not a medical expert, Peter. Neither am I I don't claim yeah. to be but the one thing I am is I, at heart I'm a community man and I know in the community the most critical and pivotal part of our community are our guardie. Yeah, and we really do need to, to afford them the protection that they deserve you know, and I think I said it in your show a few months ago, PJ, when we were talking about vaccines and the the prospect of vaccines being introduced to society. And what was said back, what I said back then, we have two major problems with the vaccines when they do come out. Number one, we won't be getting them fast enough, and number two, Johnny would be fighting that Jimmy got it before Johnny, and so on. Mm-hmm. And you know, the 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 actual. I in suppose, which case, we would have said, "Well, let science determine
4: it." You know, uh,
10: science has to determine it, of course. But that's after you prioritize, you know, key Mm. elements of society. Yes. And the key element of society, one key element, obviously, as I said, the medically vulnerable, the over-80s, the over-70s, the nurses, the doctors, the carers, the paramedics, and so on. Dentists. The the Gardaí fall into that, as they call it, the cohort. And they do fall into it. And I, I find it very hard to understand why they're not being prioritized by the powers that be. Okay. And I'm not the powers that be, and I'm not a medical expert, but I'm speaking as Lord Mayor who engage, and I'm a Lord Mayor that engages with the Gardaí on a virtual daily basis. And I see them out on the front line on a daily basis. And they're in a very vulnerable position and they're really neat. We really have a duty to protect them. And I commend you and your show for putting this out on the front line. Um, you know, it, it's very important that we show the rooftops on this one.
4: All right. Joe, thank you very much. Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Joe Kevada, um supporting very much the... Vaccination of our guardi immediately. Immediately. And as as does this program editorially, and I know some people will accuse me of populism for that. I don't actually care. And I know I have a background. Obviously, I have a background. My late dad was a guard. I don't care if that makes me biased. I think the guards have a right to be vaccinated before others. And now, I mentioned that Neffet had given advice and this is while they were putting together the plan that we got last evening, they warned the government, this is according to the Irish Times, uh, on their website this morning, the government was warned by Neffet Monday night that coronavirus cases could rise to 2,000 a day inside four weeks. They have said that we don't have the headroom that was available to us last summer, that the situation remains precarious because of the five day average of nearly 600, and because of the prevalence of this infamous B117 variant, that it is a very delicate situation as you go to reopen. And if you don't get it right, if you don't get it right, and if you don't work with us here, Neffert is effectively saying to the government, we will be up to 2,000 cases a day within four weeks that's what they're saying and all I will say in response to that is on previous occasions and I'll argue this with anybody on previous occasions when we didn't listen to Neffet or when we said Ara will do half what you say or when Leo Varadkar uh, notoriously tore into them on primetime about the fact that their jobs were safe and their salaries were safe and, and that's true, of course it is But every time we didn't listen to Neffet, we ended up in trouble again. Just bear that in mind.
3: Simon Murdoch, and the best music mix.
0: Weekdays from Midday on Cork's 96FM. Wednesday at work. Let's play it through the afternoon. I have got the tunes that will make your day go quicker. I'll bring you everything that's happening around us in Cork. And sure, look, we'll try and put a smile on your face as well. See you from Midday on Cork's 96FM.
4: Every time we talk about frontline workers, and this all began last year, when we started talking about people on the frontline, and you'd say shops, and you'd say buses, and trains, and doctors, and nurses, and dentists, and... You know, you name it. And I remember sitting down one morning for nearly half an hour and writing out on a piece of A4 paper pretty much anybody I could think of. I don't have the piece of paper. It's long gone. But writing out pretty much anyone I could think of who would be deemed a frontline worker. I spent ages at it. And even at the end of it, I discovered I had left stuff out of it. Obviously, there are various levels of frontline but trying to complete an exhaustive list was a very foolish thing for me to try to do. For example, Sean says, Not in the last 54 weeks have I once heard anyone say thanks to the water services staff of the local authorities who keep the plants running and water arriving at your door. Indeed, Sean. Indeed, indeed. 185715996. Guards are dealing with thugs. People spreading the virus, the people not wearing masks who are just foolish and don't realize how dangerous this is. They should be the next cohort. I would also say SNAs before teachers because they are the ones dealing with children with additional needs. Paul, what about bus drivers? They've been totally forgotten in the pandemic. Uh, Vincent says they are starting to give vaccine now to the retained fire service. A lot of firefighters, in fact, most permanent firefighters, I think, have had their vaccine now and Vincent tells me that they're starting to give the vaccine to the retained thats the part-time fire service. Brilliant. That is brilliant news. That is brilliant news. Patrick then says, I don't understand the hullabaloo. If all the elderly are vaccinated, we surely get out of this quicker, as that was the whole point in the first place. Of course it is, Patrick. The elderly and the most vulnerable. And you work your way through. Anyhow, We'll come back to it. 1850-715-996. I had a wonderful conversation yesterday with Dave Thor Ford, MMA fighter and just general all-around nice guy who went through, for me, the way his life was cascading Uh, ever since he was a small boy. When he started to drink and started to take drugs and started to act out and eventually he then discovered the fight game and that settled him for a while and then it all went on. Dip you know just went belly up again, and he was in hospital nine times, drink drugs, psychosis. you name it, the poor devil went through it he 's now with an organization called Schlie Ella, which is a whole new way of doing things. I remember going down there a few years ago. I think is it jeremy Irons is a patron of theirs, um, but I remember going down there a few years ago to see their setup it 's out in churchtown near Mallow and it 's a very very Different kind of a place, um, and uh, Jess England is their CEO, and it's a good chance as ever to touch base. Dave is doing really well out there, and he's happy with it. But in general, uh, Jess, good morning to you. What, morning, How are what, you what sets Shleella aside? It's a whole different way of dealing with mental illness.
15: Yeah, I suppose just to say, I just started in Shleella myself in January, and um, what an amazing place it actually is. And that's from somebody who just started working there. So I suppose what strikes me about it is it's it's very much about community. It's a community setting um, where people, staff, um, the tenants who work there, we're all working together um, I, to promote mental health, I suppose, and to support the, the tenants who come to live there. So I suppose it's based in a, a big old house, Burton Park, and, um, and a lovely setting, 40 acres. And we offer the tenants you know, who come there an opportunity to come for 18 months and to get an experience of real-life enterprises, and Dave talked about it yesterday. You know, he gets to work on the farm, or he's in the bakery, um, and I, I mean, as somebody who's just started to work there, it is the most amazing place, and the staff there too are so committed, really, to the project as well.
4: And of course, you sell your wares in the surrounding businesses.
15: Yeah, that's exactly it. So I suppose they're enterprises. So the tenants go out and um, you know, we have obviously suppliers in Charleville, in Churchtown, um, we sell apple tarts, we sell organic, mar- we have an organic market as well, which we hope to open up again in the summer and the tenants land that market. And really, I suppose, my my own thoughts on it is that we all have mental health issues at some point in our lives. Um, and I think what we're trying to do, I suppose, is normalise that, that everybody can have trauma or can have a mental health issue. Um, it's not just a group of people. And Dave talked about it very eloquently yesterday when he said something like, "You know, there's, there's more than me. I'm yeah. not alone in this." And um, I suppose that's that's the whole thinking behind Shlella, really, as such, you know. Mm.
4: In terms of trauma, and everyone, like you said, has got trauma in their yes. lives of some level or other. We, we've all had it. Um, but good, yeah. if you take a look at and it's an interesting approach to COVID-19. If you look at, look at COVID-19, I think you see it just as a bit of a trauma inflicted on us all.
15: Absolutely. I suppose in my previous role, I worked with trauma. And what struck me about COVID-19 is that it is a trauma. Um, if you look at, you know, does it tick the box for trauma? Is it an overwhelming experience? Yes, it is where a person experiences a threat, which we all have. Um, do we feel powerless around it? I think sometimes we do. Um, I think it also leads us to what is called go out of our window of tolerance. So we go up into what's called hyper arousal and anxiety and then we're up there so long that we come down into like that flat place uh, where we're just exhausted and, and you would see that I think it would a lot of people know that they've had COVID exhaustion That's
4: a, ma- that- a marvellous point because we, we did say at the start of the year here um, as opposed to last year when people were talking about people who already had difficulty with their mental health were, were coming yes. forward in huge numbers and, and yes. they were saying this is driving me to, yeah. the, to the edge but yes. we also came across a lot of people who are just and the word you use there is flat Just knackered from it all.
15: Yeah, and and that's not surprising. So, like, two points you make there. So, if somebody has a previous history of traumatic events or mental health or any kind of trauma, then COVID-19 will re-trigger that. Um, And then the other piece, I suppose, is that for all of us have a level of trauma, but we probably went into this thing where we keep going, keep going, keep going, drop, keep going, keep going, drop, because of the traumatic nature of COVID-19. And now what's happening is we're down in this place of where we're absolutely exhausted, disconnected, flat. So that's, they're what would be called normal responses, actually, to traumatic events.
4: Yeah, and normal outcome then. Can we all expect, or hope at least, that over the next few months, as there are more vaccines, as this thing hopefully goes away,
15: hmm.
4: we can rebuild normally, just like we got flat normally?
15: Yeah, Well, I suppose that's an interesting thing because um, once we experience traumatic events, I suppose, um, the thing is we go on maybe to have what's called post-traumatic growth. So we go on to do things that we would never have done when we experienced the trauma. So what you might see, the positive spin on this is, is that people might begin to look at their lives and say, OK, what's really important to me now? What are the important things in my life? So I think we'll go back to life, but maybe not as we knew it. Mm. Um, And even yesterday, you know, somebody was talking on radio about work and the nature of work and how that will change. And we'll probably work from home a couple of days a week. We won't go back to the long commutes. Jewelry
3: isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
2: plushcare.com slash weight loss
15: So I suppose that's the nature of trauma and I think the thing about it is I suppose with trauma is and Dave talked it very, you know, very well yesterday looking for help we're not alone in this we're all having the struggle with it looking for help and I suppose minding ourselves and knowing our triggers you know what are the things that triggers the anxiety in me um, so for example I know with me early on in the pandemic was when I went I'd go to the shops and if somebody was wearing a mask that was my trigger but I knew it was just a trigger Mm. Um, so I suppose like I mean I'm I'm just so delighted with Dave yesterday he was so eloquent but really the key message is look for help you know yeah and don't be afraid to and don't be afraid to and the thing is we're all struggling in this there isn't a person who you wouldn't meet who wouldn't be struggling with this because Mm -hmm. of the nature of it because of the traumatic
4: event. speaking very very personally and and, and here Jess I've communicated this to listeners previously like this time last year, lockdown, I wasn't taking a whole pile out of me. Yeah. Um, and then the one in October was just a pain in the ass. But, yeah. but this one, and so I've, t- I've talked about it with, with, with my wife, you know, this yeah. is the hardest one. This has been hard. Yeah. And we both have good jobs and we've both kept our jobs yeah. and life yeah. is relatively normal.
15: But this has yeah. been very hard. Yeah, and I think you're not alone. You know, certainly in the people I would come across, people would say, this one is the most difficult for me. And probably some of the reasons why it is is because uncertainty is a trigger for most people. The uncertainty of not knowing when it's going to end. Yeah. Um and that's you know, that triggers our fear system and we're not you know, we go up into anxiety because we don't know what when it's gonna end and that's a big trigger for people, you know. Yeah.
4: The um, other thing that happens too, I think, is that some people keep it to themselves because they yeah. uh, they're afraid of Asher, you still have a job and you're all right. You're be grand, yeah, you're nice yeah, and cushy. Yeah,
15: yeah. Yeah, I think I suppose I like if, prior to my coming to see a lot I worked a lot with teachers actually and I could hear the previous interview there. And obviously they all have their their jobs, but I suppose just the level of anxiety and stress and being out of what would be called a window of tolerance and anxiety, and and just in some of the stuff I do with them, it was about actually talking about it. You know, saying how I am feeling, looking for help, um, and I, and I'm where I am now in Shriella. I suppose that's, that's that's our bread and butter, if you like. We are about helping people. Um, but I think for all of us, it's about, you know, I'm not alone in this. This is difficult. We need to talk about it and we need to get help. And also know that this is a traumatic event. And when we have traumatic events, you know, we can be triggered up into anxiety. Yeah.
4: Just briefly, again, on Shliella, if people want to get more information about it, where can they go?
15: So basically, uh, what they could do is they could give us a buzz on 022 or they could email us on info at IE. Uh, and if we don't answer the phone straight away, we'll come back to them.
4: All right, listen, good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Jess Angland, uh, CEO of Schley Ella. They're up there around Churchtown Way. Who was that lunatic actor again who lives in Church- Churchtown? Help me here. His name's gone out of my head. Someone will think of me. That lunatic actor uh, who lived around Churchtown Way at one point. Oh, God, who was he? Remember, he was pissed on the Late Late Show. Remember, who was he? Oh it's gone out of my head. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six John O'Donovan wants to know I heard the Lord Mayor, first citizen. D- will he be going to the Easter Mass this weekend in the cathedral? John, I don't even think there is an Easter Mass in the Cathedral this weekend. If there is, it'll be online.
0: 1857
3: 15996 Access all areas on Cork's
11: 96 FM Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. Debarras of Clonakilty have joined with Declan O'Rourke ahead of his newest released arrivals De and Declan will bring you his first live concert since 2019 in a global live streamed event from Ireland's National Abbey Theatre. It takes place on Wednesday April 14th and you can find out more at debarra.ie
0: Access all
11: areas. Written and performed by John McCarthy City is a show about the weight of a lifetime's discarded stories and about keeping going even when the shop lights are off and the last taxi's long gone It's a special audio stream from the Everyman taking place on April 15th to the 26th and tickets are available at everymancork.ie Access all areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing AAA at 96fm.ie
0: Access all areas. Your
10: guide tonight, nightlife on this
0: side on
3: Corks
4: 96 FM. Thank you all. God the machine that it blew. Oliver Reed, of course, is the actor I was trying to think of. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Oliver Reed. 1857, lunatic he was. Very nice man by all accounts. I attended his funeral actually, um, because he was buried back in in North Cork. But uh, yeah, <laughs> very nice man, but a lunatic of the highest order. PJ, where are these lists for vulnerable people? I can't find out how I can get on the list. Both my doctor and my chemist can't help. Uh, They said they don't have lists. We were never asked for... Hold on, where am I going? We were never asked for one or asked to create one. The helpline will only say I'd be contacted when it's my turn. I'm heading for 68. I'm absolutely petrified every time that I have to go out. I heard you saying earlier that all the frontline workers have been vaccinated. I'm a carer and me and some of my workmates have still not been vaccinated, says Colette. No, a lot of the carers haven't been done, Colette. A lot of family carers have not been eligible for vaccination and and that's terrible because if they bring it home to the person they're caring for, you know yourself. Bus drivers, again, bus drivers being mentioned. I'm a 50-year-old taxi driver with COPD. Am I up or down the list? You see, they've, they've created more confusion than, than they sought to, than they, than they sought to to deal with. You know yourself, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. But Bernie says, look, in the interest of taking all views in here, uh, for the first time, I'm agreeing with the government on the vaccine rollout. It's much better than basing it on, It's much better to base it on age rather than title. I don't think the schools should be open. By the way, it's contradictory that you can have 20 or 30 kids in a classroom for eight hours a day, but you can't do anything indoors in your home. Again, another view. Uh, Bernie, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six To something different, for a few minutes at least. This is Holy Thursday. No, tomorrow is Holy Thursday. This is Spy Wednesday. Or they used to call it the Wednesday of Holy Week. Uh, the actual name for it, if you remember, is Spy Wednesday. Um, today and tomorrow will be... Holy Thursday and it's the time we start thinking about what we're going to have for the Easter and I know that um, with a bit of luck Queen Bee will get a nice bit of lamb don't start at me now about male and female roles right she'll get the lamb I wouldn't be trusted and rightly so we'll have the lamb on Sunday lots of people have a bit of turkey Um, some people might have beef some people will have a nut roast that's their own choice entirely but Uh, There are a lot of traditions around Easter time, one of them being the humble hot cross bun, which I love, other people hate. Let's talk with Katia Valado, who does a weekly feature of Women of the Irish Food Industry. Um, Katia, good morning to you.
16: Good morning, PJ.
4: There are some traditional foods that we'll be having over the next uh, few days, uh, the hot cross bun being, being one of them. Where did that tradition come from? It's just a bun, like...
16: I, I I don't know. We don't have them in France. <laughs> you tell me. Yeah,
4: yeah. Can you get a bit closer to your phone there for me?
16: Sure, sure. Um, I, so, I come from France and we don't have them over there. So, I don't know. You tell me.
4: <laughs> really? Yeah. It's it's a uniquely Irish or British thing than, than, than maybe. What is the traditional food for, for, for Easter time though, Katie?
16: Um, I would say lamb is very traditional, especially here as you have such great lamb growers or breeders, even you have possibly the best lamb in the world. Yeah. Um a lot of people will eat fish as well. Yes. And then of course that's chocolate.
4: Ah yeah, chocolate. Where would we be without where would we be without chocolate?
10: That's
4: it. We have more vegans and vegetarians around us now. Um what do they have for their Easter?
16: Um, I mean, you wouldn't call it traditional, but they they will certainly put like maybe a roast dinner on the table where you could have like a a whole cauliflower roasted or a whole celeriac. They'll have a centerpiece as well. They'll just make a different kind of dinner, um, but they will eat well too.
4: Yeah, properfood.ie is 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 your website. What kind of things do you do on there?
16: Um, well, before before COVID, I would have travelled around Ireland when I had the, the chance to do so, and I'd go and meet small producers and see how the food was, was you know, grown and bred and prepared um, behind all the brands that we like to buy at home. And today, well, obviously, I can't do that much more, um, that much more travelling anymore, so I, I talk to people remotely, I be... Um, maybe putting up recipes together, or just chatting to the women of the Irish food industry to kind of raise their profiles a bit, mm. um, and see what we can do with them, and that's that, really. Yeah,
4: yeah. and a lot of very successful women now in Irish food, um, and and some and producing some of the best food in the world has to be said. You come I back would to, agree. come back to chocolate. Because being French, um, you know your chocolate and the Belgians know their chocolate. So for those of us here who want to do something unusual with chocolate this weekend, other than scoff the stuff, what can we do?
16: Um, Well, actually look at your Irish chocolate producers. You've got great ones here too. Yeah. You know, you've got a huge amount of really fabulous chocolate in Ireland. Um, You've loads in Cork. You've loaded in Limerick. Mm. Um, they're, they're absolutely everywhere. But I guess the the main one would be, you'd be baking with it, really if you wanted to. But I'd recommend just scoffing it just for the weekend, you know.
4: Yeah, yeah. There's a little there's a little trick that you can do with ice cream, uh, or sorbets better, and melted chocolate. You take a big dump lump of sorbet and you dip it in melted chocolate, and it forms <laughs> a little crust, and uh, that's just like, that's decadent, isn't it?
16: <laughs> it is, but it's you know it's it's there. So it's allowed.
4: Yeah, yeah. So you have no idea of the origin of the hot cross bun.
16: I don't actually. I really don't.
4: Yeah. Do you? Do you like them? Do you cook them?
16: Uh, no, I don't. I I don't know. They're kind of this weird thing between bread and cake. They're always a bit stale. They're always a bit dry. Yeah. Maybe I've never had a nice one.
4: Yeah, you wouldn't be fond of them, like.
16: No, definitely not. <laughs> I love them I absolutely you can have mine PJ
4: <laughs> no I absolutely love hot cross buns in fact what I end up doing at the end of Easter this is a little secret from the Coogan house is I go buy them I buy loads of them and freeze them oh very good <laughs> so have a hot cross bun whenever I want one I had them at Christmas <laughs> <laughs> the latest trick is is the air fryer for cooking with are you a fan I have one
16: at home yes hmm Yes, I love it. Mine is a really, um, it's quite an ancient one so it's nowhere near as good as the ones you see today and we use it just for fries basically to make chips at home and it makes the best chips. Yeah,
4: I have a thing about chips coming out of an air fryer. Do they really taste that good? I see. I'm, I'm, I I think the chips without grease dripping off them, like they're no good.
10: <laughs> so there,
16: there is grease on them, just a little bit. Yeah. But enough to actually fry the outside and you taste it. Yeah.
4: Yeah, they're nice, they're really, really nice inside.
16: All right. Yeah, I I would be a fan.
4: Okay. All right. Listen. Uh, keep in touch with your website properfood.ie. Katia Valado, and of course uh, the weekly feature Women of the Irish Food Industry. Thank you very much for being with us on the Opinion Line. Thanks, Katia. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. I want to go back to the um, and listen. Whatever you do with food this Easter, enjoy it. And you know what? It's all we have this particular Easter. It's all we have. We can't get out until next weekend. Uh, in answer to someone's question, so how far can we go next from the 12th on? Anywhere in Cork. You, can, If you're listening to me now in in Middleton, you can go to Alleyhees. It's great. You can go wherever you want within our beautiful county of Cork. If you live close to the border, thinking in terms last night of someone who might live there in Balvorney at the bottom of the county bounds, they can go ten kilometers into county or twenty twenty sorry, into County Kerry so they can pop into pop into Killarney, for example. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six back to what was said yesterday though, about shoes, and I mentioned earlier this morning. Fine Gael and children's shoes and governments and children's shoes have a long and uh, not all, always pleasant history in this country. But it was said yesterday, for example, that we can't get children's shoes yet. And paediatrician Dr. Neave Lynch was talking about it on her Twitter and in fact got mentioned last night on primetime while Miriam O'Callaghan was interviewing the
13: Who made the decision at Cabinet that children's shoes and children's clothes aren't essential? Was a, a doctor online today, Niamh, saying that she is so worried about children's feet because hmm. she's seeing so many damaged children's feet and it's ludicrous, whoever decided at Cabinet, that children's shoes aren't essential?
0: Well, like I say, they are essential, but it's possible to buy online or possible to buy over the phone. Um, I have heard some instances of children who need special Medical footwear. Um I think we need to look at that. Niamh, what
4: I've been hearing is that and it's a long time since my children were in that that cohort, but children's feet grow so fast that they've grown out of the shoes they had before Christmas. Good morning.
17: Hi, PJ. Yeah, you'll have to start calling me Doctor Shoe Little. Um <laughs> I know that. I know that. <laughs> So, yeah, children's feet grow really quickly. So in the first 15 months of their life, their feet grow five sizes. And then between then and the time they turn four, they grow two sizes per year. And then after that, they grow a size a year. So, uh, you know, in smaller children, you're looking at two pairs of shoes a year at least. And it's really important that they're measured properly. It's, it's impossible to order shoes for a toddler online that you can be sure are going to fit them properly.
4: Because, from what you're saying, if they fitted them last month, they won't fit them this month, not necessarily.:
17: not necessarily, no, or if they you know if you order what you think is the right size by the time the shoes arrive, it's the wrong size the feet are growing so fast. And, you know, the other thing, like, I felt that answer last night um, to Mary McCallaghan was such a fudge. You know, it was like, oh, you can order them online. You know, the reality is people have tried that. We've been trying that for the last year. And it's the experience of mums and dads and parents and carers all around the country that it just, does not work you know people are saying you know and then you're working on the assumption that you can afford to order these shoes online these shoes are expensive it's expensive to get them delivered and it's expensive to send them back and all the time the child's feet are growing away and there's a very simple solution down the road the local shoe shop you can make an appointment there like i was saying yesterday i can get my dog's toenails clipped at the vet and i can't get my child measured for shoes
4: That's a very good comparison. So, like, what kind of things are you seeing then from a medical point of view? Are you seeing children's feet possibly being damaged here?
17: Well, I'm seeing toddlers without any shoes at all. Generally, they will arrive in their wellies. um, You know, so... They just the parents haven't been able to get shoes that fit them um, so they, they you know they, when they're wheeled in and they're broken, normally where you see a child being wheeled in and they have their nice little cute shoes on they're coming in and they have no shoes on at all and they, you know they walk around the room in their socks so they just don't have shoes or they're wearing their wellingtons and they're clomping around and you know that's fine and it's not it's not that it's going to damage their feet as such but it's really limiting them in terms of their development like if a child doesn't have shoes they can't explore the world in the same way that that a child who has a nice sturdy pair of shoes on them, well, you just can't let them off onto the grass in their socks, they might stand in something gross. You know, there's all sorts of like you know, kind of permutations and combinations of disaster that can happen mm. if a child doesn't have their shoes on. And then, what I'm seeing as well in the school children is, um, and I'm sure loads of parents will identify with this. Like, just before my child went back to school, we said, Oh, we better haul out the uniform and see, does it fish and see, do the shoes fit, right? Mm. And of course, shock horror it didn't fit and i felt like a total clown because i was like oh i should have been more organized you know maybe i can get stuff online and of course then it takes ages for stuff to arrive and the shoes like she was bursting out of the shoes um and i just wasn't able to get them so i just had to send her in her tracksuit and her runners you know it just wasn't possible um Mm -hmm. so but i'm seeing kids in school shoes that are too small and too tight and their feet are sore And they're getting little blisters on their feet. Uh, Some children have gotten infections in the skin on their feet. Um, You know, so that's something to be considered as well. So that is actually doing harm, you know, and it's not right to have children walking around in pain. It's just not fair.
4: There's a worthwhile point to be made here, I think, as well, Neve, that, you know, some schools can be very picky about the, the shoes being, the proper shoes being worn. Time to ease off on that, I would suspect.
17: I would agree with you totally there PJ. I mean I feel that you know there should have been possibly a directive from on high to school saying you know what for the last few months that they're in school just relax the uniform thing. Children have been in school for three months out of the last 12 and parents across the country have spent a fortune as they always do on uniforms that have remained untouched in mm. cupboards for most of that time. Yeah. uh you know all and all the while their children are growing, and there just seems to be a complete lack of acknowledgement or insight into the reality on the ground of you know parenting children and dealing with their day to day needs and this sort of trenchant shoes are not essential item. Uh, kind of mantra that keeps coming from, from politicians, like, they just open their eyes and realise that they're ha- they seem to be happy to sort of have this let them eat cake attitude. You, you wonder how online. many
4: of them sitting around the cabinet table wouldn't you Neve, actually have school going children whose feet are growing?
17: Ah uh, yeah, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd have to wonder that. I don't know. I haven't <laughs> <Neither do laughs> I haven't I. really looked into it, but you'd have to wonder because there just doesn't seem to be any kind of insight at all into this problem and it's a problem and I just don't see why why people are happy to sit back and let children go around in shoes that are hurting them. It's just not fair. It's not acceptable. It's just, it? you know when, what are we like the nineteen forties and nineteen fifties? You know, like it's time to come into the twenty first century.
4: All right, all right. Always good to talk to you on the opinion line, Doctor Neve Lynch, paediatrician eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. A strong message there, I think, to all the schools who are taking children back in at the moment. If the shoes are a bit off, don't be given grief to some young fella or young girl and I'm thinking in terms of teenagers who are going back after Easter and eight and nine year olds who are back don't be giving them grief over them not having the right kind of shoes
3: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Court's 96FM
4: That proper pea super that had dominated us last night and this morning. You couldn't see two feet in front of you last night with the fog around parts of the city and county. Even this morning when I was driving in, it was very, very foggy around Maryborough Hill and generally right into the city. That's lifting now, although slowly I still can't see the airport, um, which is fine. There's nothing going in and out of it, I suppose, but at the same time, I still can't see it. But that will lift and, and burn away, and the forecast for the next few days is just, it's just great. Like tomorrow, uh, 16 degrees, sunny. Friday, good Friday, 15, 16 degrees, sunny. Saturday, 12 degrees, sunny. Sunday, uh, 15 degrees and sunny. Now Monday, a bit more rain on the way, and then into Tuesday, uh, colder, but still sunny spells. But a nice uh, Easter weekend coming our way. 1850-715-996, the number to call, the text to to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Pop us a voice note as well on WhatsApp if you wish to do so at that same number. Uh, The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in our first couple of hours this morning, uh, you can, of course, get them on the podcast or get it on the podcast later on this afternoon. There was quite a shocking story in the radio news yesterday, that I wanted to follow up on it today. Because when I saw the number, I said, that can't be right. That just cannot be right. In last year, 2020, 1,709 children were prescribed antidepressants. And I thought, what? What's that about? 1,709 children prescribed antidepressants last year. Uh, this was reported uh, in uh, National News Bulletin. Um, let's check in with Consultant Secretaries Patricia Casey, who I know was very surprised by that number when she heard it. Uh, Patricia, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Very surprisingly high number. I certainly was taken aback by it. Um, were
18: you?
12: I was very surprised indeed, I would have thought it would have been maybe a hundred a hundred and fifty something like that. I suppose the definition of a child in this data is anybody under the age of fifteen, nevertheless, it is still a very surprising figure. And, um, and I wasn't, I was, I was certainly not expecting it. I do know from my own clinical practice, and I'm an adult psychiatrist, not a child psychiatrist, but I do know from my work as an adult psychiatrist that, um, many people who, particularly people with recurrent depressive disorder, um, will have had episodes in childhood now they would of course be of an age because they would all be now in their twenties and thirties and forties they would be of an age where they wouldn't wouldn't have been prescribed antidepressants but it may be that a small group of the a small number of these this seventeen hundred that we're talking about actually have an early onset of depressive illness for all that it's it's very surprising, and I suspect that what's happening here is that Many children um, are are sad and unhappy, unfortunately, for a variety of psychosocial reasons. They come from deprived backgrounds, they're often their parents aren't living together they're split up they may be be, be having trouble accessing seeing one or other of the parents, parent the parent with whom they don't live they may not be seeing their grandparents they may be have, having difficulties at school so there are a lot of psychosocial factors that do make children unhappy and there is always a danger that unhappiness will be confused with depressive illness yeah. and medication prescribed. So I think that is what may be happening here. That and, and we have to remember there's a huge shortage of child psychiatrists. So many of these young, young children may not be having proper psychiatric assessments. Yeah. Or if they are, the assessments are not very thorough because the psychiatrists are overworked and there are huge long waiting lists. So I think that is probably what is going on. But it's, it's, it's not acceptable, of course, because, firstly, antidepressants are never tested on children. You can't do controlled trials of antidepressants in children oh. because they can't give... So there are no the specific
4: antidepressant drugs for children?
12: N- n- none of the drugs are licensed for use in children. That, that doesn't mean that in some children... They, 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 we know they're used. We have over the numbers here for Ireland. And in some children, they do actually work when children are depressed. But in only a tiny number is that the case. So there's a problem with them because we don't really know how well they work in children. But there's a bigger problem in that... Um, we know that only we, we know that some of the antidepressants carry a risk of inducing suicidal thoughts and suicidal behavior and there 's a black box warning on them, particularly for people under the age of, uh, of twenty or twenty five I think it is um, and that extends back to childhood so these drugs may cause problems with mm. Children and make them suicidal and that's why there's a black box warning so they should only be used in very extenuating circumstances with children
4: Now, You made a point there a second or two ago and I wanted to come back to it you said there's a difference between and I think probably in the course of the pandemic we've seen more of it there's a difference between normal unhappiness and depressiveness and it's important that everyone understands that difference
12: And how you distinguish one from the other is that when people are sad and unhappy, but but not clinically depressed say, when they're sad and unhappy they can actually be cheered up when nice things happen, them. you know when their parents get back together again or if you're an adult and you're unhappy because of a broken relationship, if you find a new person or if you're unemployed and unhappy and you get a job your mood will lift, your mood is responsive and reactive to what's happening in your your life in clinical depression that doesn't that doesn't happen. And so the, the, the depression is pervasive and mm. it's there all the time, irrespective of what's going on. So people people might take you out for a nice meal or have you around their houses for a cup of tea or coffee to cheer you up. If you're clinically depressed, it actually won't that do won't that. Work. that won't work. Um, And of course, in both unhappiness and in clinical depression, people don't eat very well and people don't sleep very well. So those kind of symptoms aren't terribly helpful in distinguishing one from the other. But it's a hugely important distinction. And I think it is responsible in general for the very high rates of antidepressant use um, throughout Europe and North America generally, because I, I do believe that antidepressants are extremely good, Mm-hmm. clinical depression are overused and misused in unhappiness that's confused with clinical
4: depression mm, Yeah, because and I, something else that I think if you start using those drugs in a young child uh, do, do you get to a point of where they actually become immune to the drug anyway?
10: If it,
12: that doesn't usually happen with, with, with antidepressants, if somebody needs them and they're taken properly um the person doesn't usually be become immune to them that's not that's not an an issue the issue is that if you're getting a drug that you don't need you'll be coping with the the side effects of it but also you view yourself as somebody with a mental illness a mental health problem when you may not have that in fact you may just have a problem of living as we call it you know what you experience may be perfectly normal it would be like prescribing an antidepressant for somebody who is bereaved
4: Yes, yes. De- dealing with our emotions, Patricia, I'm sure you'd agree, is a skill and, and one that we all learn to some extent or other. And I, my fear would be, and I'm just a layman, my fear would be that if you put a youngster on antidepressant, or anybody, but if you put a youngster in developmental years on an antide- antidepressant uh, for just a bit of unhappiness, th- that that skill of dealing with emotions would be dumbed down a bit
12: maybe maybe yes and maybe no the, the antidepressants don't often dumb people down some people do feel a bit, a bit flat on them alright but it's not a terribly common side effect. I think the, 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 the danger is that whatever is making them sad and unhappy will be missed and will not be talked about and efforts won't be made to resolve it if it's thought that it's due to okay. an illness and so they won't get the, the kind of help that would, that would assist them in dealing with whatever sadness is going on in their lives okay. that would be put to one side in favour of drugs and that's not not, not appropriate and not healthy
4: um, If I might just ask you one adult question before I leave your petition I appreciate your time this morning uh, I've been hearing for months on end and I'm sure you have too that the thing that's happening under the pandemic is another pandemic, the pandemic of, of broken mental health as a psychiatrist do you predict and fear that or is it just something that we need to keep an eye on?
12: I think we need to keep an eye on it. I am certainly conscious and I am dealing with people who for the first time in their lives have become clinically depressed or indeed have presented with OCD because the obsessive compulsive disorder where they're checking all the time and reading up on the research all the time and utterly and completely overwhelmed and preoccupied with doing everything 110% perfect during covid so people you know are go, go, going around sanitizing door handles and key rings and pens that they're writing with and that kind of stuff uh, so, so so that is certainly out there it's it's not it's not a huge problem. And I think when the pandemic is over that the, 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 the the problem won't be people becoming depressed because of the pandemic, people who had independent depressive illness and not having gone to their doctors to get treated for it because it's so difficult to get appointments with GPs these days. I think that will be a problem. So there will be an increase in our workload, but it won't be depression directly as a consequence of having been locked down in most of those people.
4: Alright, listen, thank you very much for your time today I really appreciate it, consultant psychiatrist uh, at the matter and at UCD uh, Patricia Casey Thank you, 1850 715 996
7: The drama is sensational That's eighty. oh he's done
8: It's an equaliser, it's stoppage time
7: And it's all right here Greenish for seven Join me, Trevor Welch, on 96FM.ie for the Premier League live online, powered by Talksport. Go, go!
3: The and I'm ready to go, go, go.
7: We're back broadcasting live on April third. League winners, top four, and relegation. Don't miss our coverage of the action as the season heads towards a climatic finish. Go, go! Ready to go. the premier league live online
0: with now only pay for the games that matter to you your sport on your terms with now
7: listen every saturday on the corks 96fm app or see
3: 96fm.ie corks 96fm <laughs>
4: On children's shoes, Mary says a lot of children have never been fitted for shoes. Their shoes are bought in Duns or Pennies or Tesco's and they don't fit. do fittings in those stores. Put the shoe on, feel for the toe, then you know how it'll fit. Kids are not being damaged by not getting fitted. But the point is, Mary, that at the moment you can't even go into Pennies or Duns or Tesco's uh, and buy the shoes and fit them on the child and see if the... If the, the Tove, you can't, you see, you got to go online and buy them on a site. And then when they come, one of two things has happened. First of all, they don't fit properly, which is a problem. Or secondly, they might have fit before you ordered them. But in the few weeks it takes for them to come, you don't get them either. That's what Neil was saying, that you need to be at least able to do that very basic check that every mom or dad has learned. Is the shoe all right there? Ah, oh, yeah, there's your toe, you'll be fine. We can't even do that now. Thanks, Mary. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. John says the government's plans are very contradictory. They say all classes will be back in school, and then in the next breath they're saying new variants of COVID are way more transmissible. It's too dangerous to open schools. Also, I'm surprised that nurses and doctors have not gone on strike over the government allowing people in. If they went on strike and stopped treating patients, the quarantine rules will be changed. Ah, John, listen, if they went on strike and stopped treating patients, people would die. Can't be doing that now. But I see your point. The quarantine is half arsed and half baked. They're talking this morning, or yesterday, about France, Germany, Italy, 40 countries, maybe even the USA. But already the political ramifications are going on about that. But we'll see. We'll see where that goes. 1850, 715, Another group not happy after yesterday's announcements, particularly in terms of the vaccine cohort. And I have it here uh, on a piece of paper in front of me. the the list of the nine categories and there's 9.1, 9.2 9.3, 9.4, 9.5 9.5 being those between the ages of 24 down to 16 Um, but another group not happy are the early childhood providers Elaine Dunn is the chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. Elaine, good morning
19: Uh, Good morning, how are you?
4: Good. You were disappointed last evening with that vaccine plan
19: Absolutely, Uh, we're absolutely devastated to be honest with that because we're now in the category, the last category again uh, because we do have a lot of very young people working in our sector so it leaves us completely open to this virus uh, with no social distancing the only protection we have is a mask so people are up in arms now at this stage and I don't blame the young girls that work in the sector Uh, there's a lot of services at the moment getting COVID in them and we have people who are particularly sick only last night, I received a text from a provider uh, in the Cork area who has five staff down with it and one very ill and in hospital. And we wish her well, and we wish them all well in their speedy recovery. But um, the fact is that they it came in through um, asymptomatic children. So we're in there working with masks, if possible, and that's all the only protection we have. We've been calling for since last June to be vaccinated, to be brought up the list. And now, literally, last night, they just absolutely made a shambles of it and put us right down at the bottom.
4: A lot of your workers are quite young.
19: Absolutely. And, you know, people say that young people aren't getting sick. I have to contradict that because I've spoken to a lot of practitioners and providers in the sector and they are very ill. They're extremely ill and they're ill for at least 14 to 21 days. Yeah, yeah. And they, You know, and you also have people um, who, if it's in their service, of course the staff are terrified coming into work. Absolutely, we are. We are full of fear at the moment. And to do what the government did last night and just forget about it and you know, not even give us a mention. Yeah. I mean, we're the ones that are open here. We are here every single day. We open our services. Every time we've been asked to open, we're we'll the first people opening up. Every single time we have opened up, and for what? No respect whatsoever for any of the young people and the providers that are running these businesses in this sector, whatsoever.
9: No,
4: it's th- appalling. The Thonister th- when he appeared on primetime I'm not going to play the clip again. I've already played it once or mm. twice. He was saying they're going with science, and that this advice is coming from NIAC, which is the Immun- Immunisation Advisory Committee, and it's coming from NEFIT and it's coming from from others, and that they also argue that in actual fact it'll mean that the vaccines will get out faster because it's just nine categories now rather than 15 or
19: 16 doesn't that remain to be seen yeah. you know that they're they're going to roll these out quicker I mean 75 should have been done by now they should have been on the vulnerable at this stage and they're not yeah. you know so um, look they, it's a great yarn that they're spinning but you know we have to see the evidence of that um, we're seeing evidence of a lot of services getting COVID in them and a lot of people uh, getting very sick, as I said. We can't social distance whatsoever yeah. with children and nor do we want to. Yes. This is the job we do. I we think that's a children.
4: really, really key point. You know, just like and this program has thrown its weight fully behind gardi in, in their drive to get vaccinated. Absolutely. But but what you're saying to me, you, you can't. You don't want to control social distance with a small child. No,
19: we- we don't want to. If we, we would never do it. And even if we were told to do it, we wouldn't do it. We nurture children. That is what our job is, It's to nurture children. And that is what we're trained to do. And we will never stop doing that. So, you know, we open up and we keep the economy going. So what happens if we close down altogether? Because we just cannot keep this up. It's mentally exhausting for the practitioners and the providers working in this sector. Is it we time for the Children's exhausted. Minister
4: to be stepping up here?
19: Absolutely. He needs to step up here. We are also calling on Stephen Donnelly to come out and have a meeting with us and listen to what's going on at the ground because it appears that it's just going on deaf ears. No matter what we say, no matter what we do, it's absolutely appalling the way we are being treated. Okay.
4: All right. Listen, thanks very much for that, Elaine Dunn, Chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers. They're, they're not happy either with the vaccination rollout. There's, there's quite a lot. There's quite a lot. Like Julie, devastated to see... That I thought this was a rumor. She said, "I'm a teacher. I'm in my thirties. I'm so way down the new list. I'm also mom to a little boy with a rare illness and compromised immunity. And compromised immunity. I'm sick enough to be told not to let him catch COVID, but because it's rare, I can't get signed out from work as there's not enough understanding, and I can't get anyone to understand how vulnerable he is. I was anxiously waiting for my vaccine to protect him. I'm beyond upset this morning. 185715996."
3: Simon Murdoch and the best music mix
0: weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM Wednesday at work let's play it through the afternoon I've got the tunes that'll make your day go quicker I'll bring you everything that's happening around us in Cork and sure look we'll try and put a smile on your face as well see you from midday on Cork's 96FM (laughs)
3: This is Court's gold, Emro award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text
8: or WhatsApp now: Oe three three
3: ninety six 96, 96 on Court's ninety
4: six FM. Quick call with Moiraid. Thanks for waiting, Moiraid. Um, children's shoes. Good morning.
8: Uh, good morning, PJ. How are
4: you? you? You very well, thank you. You have a problem?
8: Yeah. Uh... Sorry. Uh, yeah, my son there has um, a, a, a foot condition, and he wears orthotics. And um, like that, trying to get him shoes—it's it, impossible. Like they do grow massively. I can never guess what size he might be. Um, you know, he—it's from kind of age three. He could be gone up two sizes and the next time he goes in the bedroom. You know, it's just—it's—it's yeah. it's impossible to even fathom. Right. This. this uh, you know, kick his shoes aren't essential, you know?
4: He's twelve and size ten, is that it?
8: Yeah. Wow. yeah. He's bigger than his dead. Oh, okay.
4: And and yeah. you can't buy them online because No
8: oh. I, I can't guess. I, he has to because of he uh, he's you know, I'm not sure of the technical term, but basically his ankles are calling in on themselves. Right. And he's flat footed and um he kinda of walks on the inside of his his foot. Um, so he's in orthotics constantly, and will be for the rest of his life. And um, it, there's no way of knowing what size. is I'm not qualified to measure him. Yeah. You know, I I haven't a clue. To, I could guess, but then, you know, what am I doing to his feet? Then if I take that risk? Yeah,
4: you can't get. you can't wait to get back to the shoe shop. I'm sure you were very disappointed yeah. with, with I
8: yesterday. I had great support here from our local shoe shop here. You know, they they're so aware of his condition and they've had training in it, and they uh, were acutely aware of it, and they did drop shoes, because going back to school there in, you know, the 15th of March, um, shoes so was outgrown in shoes, mm. um, and they, they just dropped pairs they knew would suit him to the door, so they know his condition now and what would work on his feet, and just gave me a selection and said, try them on, you know. Yeah. Ask him what feels comfortable, you know, and I feel I'm lucky that he is 12. He can tell me if they hurt or yeah,
4: yeah, if
8: they, yeah. If they feel okay. But like for anyone who's younger, kids with this condition, it's mm-hmm. going to be impossible. Like all their months is wash up school. Yeah, you yeah. know, at least he's understanding enough. He knows his feet are important, and he will go. Actually, you not know, they, they feel supportive and secure. I can't go that half size up by the drug is you might take a chance. Yeah.
4: You can't take chances with it. It's be- he, he needs
8: that. Um, security around his foot because his feet will spray it otherwise.
4: Okay. Okay. And
8: then um, trying to get a shoe to fit him then be almost impossible.
4: Okay. So well here's here's, here's, a, here's hoping that, that that they'll be able to open them sometime soon but yeah. can't be looking Absolutely. into May now at this stage, but certainly another month is probably a month too long for you. Thanks very much Maureen for that call and, and loads of people incensed about children's shoes uh, this morning and and the fact that we can't get them yet. Uh, eighteen fifty seven one five 996 on the subject of uh, injections finally briefly Um, PJ it's not proven that the vaccines will stop people from carrying and spreading the virus they're proven to reduce the symptoms and how sick someone gets if they've had the vaccine that's from Lorraine well Lorraine there's plenty of study on now and plenty of simple science with it if you don't get sick if you don't develop what they call a viral load you can't shed it which makes you less infective That science is there. It's good science now. Uh, And okay, there are many, many studies, even though the WHO and other policymakers like that haven't quite said it it works yet. But there's a lot of evidence out there now, a lot of evidence that once you're fully vaccinated, you are not infectious either. A lot of evidence. 1857, which is great. 185715996. My friend Gareth O'Callaghan, it was this day last week I mentioned that his book was out. And, of course, we then have to get into a queue with publishers when you want to talk to a guy like Gareth about his new book, which is called What Matters Now? A Memoir of Hope and Finding a Way Through the Dark. And I've spoken to Gareth on the programme many, many times about the devastating illness that he suffers from, which is MSA and how it's changed everything and how he had to give up his beloved radio career because he just couldn't do it anymore. Um, and uh, he was talking to me in the last few days about the book and about life in general. Gareth, I'll start by saying to you that um, I'm often asked by listeners, how are you? How
18: is Gareth? Um, Today, I'm reasonably good. I I had a very bad night, um, severe pain, so on a level of 1 to 10, Usually it kicks in around about quarter to three in the morning. It would be up around an eight. Um, And what I do is I try to walk around just to kind of loosen up the legs and try to straighten up the back. And um, it it brings it down a little bit. Um, And then usually what I do is I take codeine, which is the painkiller I'm on at the moment, although it looks now as if I will have to move up to one of the higher ones like gabapentin. Um, or Lyrica, one of those. Um, I, I, I try to balance the amount of medication for pain that I take because if I take too much, I end up being groggy um, and the, the, the thinking capacity tends to become an awful lot more inactive. Um, and so I try to take less painkillers so that the mind, the mind remains sharp, but I can tolerate a certain amount of the discomfort. So it's a balancing kind of thing that I try to do during the day. And is that Um, every night? Is that all the time? All the time, yeah. All the time. During the day it's not so bad because I think I'm on some medication for the Parkinson's uh, symptoms that go along with this. So that tends to ease the joints stiffening. Um, It also tends to keep my back relatively pain-free during the day so that I can keep... Most of the actual painkillers then for nighttime, and I'm also on a medication that uh, stops restless leg syndrome. That's the nighttime regime, and then there are a couple of other bits and pieces that I take during the day. Before this, I would I, I'd probably take a salbutamol for a hangover or for a headache, but that was as much as I would ever take. And now I'm on a small black bathroom bag full of pills that I have to sort of almost militaristically remember to take at specific times right throughout the day.
4: The book, Gareth, has taken several years to write. You might say yourself, it's taken 60 years to write because you turned 60 (laughs) the other day and uh, congratulations to you on a roundy one. Thank you. Um, But in essence, it took two to three years. There's a lot in there. Were there times when you just said, no, I've got to stop?
18: Oh, yeah. So I I think it was about two years ago when the idea began to take shape. And um, at that stage, I started writing regularly. And then a year ago, I really started writing in earnest because at that stage, I knew this is the time to write. This is the story I want to tell. So it took about 12 months in all.
4: There's a lot in there that even those who know you wouldn't have known. Your depression was part of the story, we knew. But we didn't know about the financial struggles. Nobody knew, other than a very close group, about what you went through as a very small boy in that horrible place in Clara when you were abused by by a brother. Mm-hmm. This was difficult to write, my friend, I'd say.
18: It was very difficult because while I, I had... I always think when people say, how do you come to terms with this? I I think you never really come to terms with sexual abuse. I think what happens is you reach a point in your life where you have changed from what you were 10 years previously, but now you have to deal with it in a different way. Um, So you're constantly checking it to make sure it's not interfering in your life because trauma at that stage in life where you're only a young child, your brain hasn't even begun to hardwire itself. I was 11 at the time. Um, I had absolutely no concept of abuse, that even the term abuse. Um, And I thought I was the only one in the world who this was happening to. So if I was the only one in the world, I thought, well, there's no one ever going to believe this. Because no one else has ever been through this. Little did I know that God knows there were thousands of other young boys and girls my my age at that stage who were going through it too. So, um, this is the this is there are many sort of facets and fallouts from abuse like that. The longer you hold on to it without divulging it to a, a safe source, a confidential source, the, the deeper it digs into you and the more damage it does to you. And um, I think. I, I thought I had dealt with this many years ago, but it was only then during an interview with Don Baker in 2005 on my 2 M radio show when Don started talking about his experience in St. Conlet's Reformatory for School in Danget, which is not far from Clara, where my abuse took place. It was almost as, as if Don that afternoon on live air took a sledgehammer and literally brought it down and broke up the studio and almost sort of split the atom. I, I, I literally fell apart listening to him and he sat there crying. And I I think it's the only time I've ever actually cried on air. I, I began to cry myself because it was like, here were two small 11-year-old boys discussing something that they'd never discussed so publicly before. And I knew after that that the closure I thought I had brought to it, I was nowhere near it, and I had to go right back there again and uh, you know process it. I hate that word but but you know you know what I mean
10: I do
4: the story of what happened is all in the book, and how you went back many years later and I don't think you ever found afterwards what happened to the man who abused you. You never found his grave, you went looking, but you never mm. found that's all there. But, Gareth, as I listened, rather than read, I listened to the audiobook, I began to think, did that horrendous experience, did that perhaps set the seed for the mental struggles of future years? Do you think it did? Do you know?
18: Oh, completely, yeah. I, I, I fully believe that the only thing that kept me on the straight and narrow that kept me sane for as many years as I can remember after those experiences was music. Music was almost like a pick me up. It was like a natural medication. It was like, it was like, it, it just, it, 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 it's almost like the songs I loved from the 1970s, it was almost like every time I heard one of them, it was like, I wrapped a warm blanket around myself. And I felt comfortable and it lifted me above the terrible confusion and the heartache and, and the anger that I was beginning to feel. I was becoming, you know, more and more of a teenager and getting closer and closer to leaving school and to becoming, quote unquote, an adult to find my own way in the world. And I was terrified at this notion of having to find my own way in the world because I was dragging this awful, awful misery behind me I just couldn't unshackle it I couldn't let it go so yes it, it did it, it on a number of occasions it would literally out of the blue flash right across my eyes uh, I out of the blue it would pop up in my dreams at night but I kept going and I, I felt that as I got older this was something I really had to try to deal with myself and of course I couldn't deal with it myself so yeah, it, it did. It impacted my life in so many different ways. And I think when it sits there undealt with and unresolved for long enough, it's going to burn out all of the positive chemicals that the brain needs to feel content and happy. And really, it's just going to stoke up the fire with all of the, the adrenalines and the, you know, the, 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 other, the other adrenaline, the other chemicals in the brain that, tend to make you feel extremely anxious and depressed. Did it ever
4: find its way, I mean, other than the interview with Don, uh, which I heard, by the way, I remember did that. You? It, I did you? Yeah. 2005. Did. Yeah. yeah, I've been yeah. a fan of Don's for many years and met him many times. Yeah. So when he was on your program, I made a point of listening and I thought it was just phenomenal. Yeah. But did, other than that time, did it ever get inside your studio, your haven, your place?
18: Um, It it did occasionally when I would hear on the news headlines, in other words, if we had news on the hour while I was on air. And during the 90s and then into the 2000s, we were hearing more and more about, you know, individuals who have been convicted for child sexual abuse. And those stories really, really frightened me. Because, uh, you know, here was someone who had been brave enough to come forward and to point the finger and to lay the charges and to have an individual convicted. And I had done none of this. And did um, you beat yourself up about that? Sometimes I did. Yeah. Sometimes I did. Um, the, 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 the classic thing of, but I, I I didn't want to upset other people by bringing this and making it so public and, um, and going looking for the individual. Uh, I was also aware of the fact that as time was going by, 1972 was getting further and further away. Um, And I wasn't sure at that point if this individual had abused other young boys. Um, I still don't know. Um, So yes, it did. It, It was always sitting there somewhere. In the back of my mind, like that noise you hear in the engine when you're driving, sort of a slight knocking noise and you're thinking, what is that? Is it the timing belt? You know, is, is it the bearings in the wheel? So it, it was there, but I, I suppose I, I covered it. I pressed on it. I suppressed it. And I tried to push it out of my mind and I tried to stay as busy as I could, but I knew it was going to have to be faced at some stage.
4: It almost broke you, but but it didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's down, I suppose, to your own inner strength now when you look at it. Um, When you look back now, do you wish you had told someone earlier? Do you wish that you had, I mean, you were very close to your parents, your dad in particular, who passed away actually the same year year as mine did. That's right. Um, do, Do you wish now that you had talked to someone as a little boy?
18: No, I, 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 I look back now and I don't think there was anything I could have done back then because I think now, if it, if it has happened now, I think if somebody came to me now and said, would you give me some advice? My 11-year-old boy is being abused. What should I do? Well, then very quickly I would say, right, well, the first thing you do is you get in touch with the Gardaí. And there is a very dedicated team of Garvey who are specialists in supporting and in, you know, moving a case like this forward if you want to press criminal charges. Back then, there was nothing. I mean, back then, the possibility of even being believed was quite remote. So I think, should it, would, it, would it have made any difference if I had done things differently? No, I don't think so. Uh, there was no one to go to. There, there was no such thing as psychotherapy back then. Uh, you were lucky if you would get a an appointment with a psychiatrist. But even then, that that's all... For an 11-year-old, all I wanted was for it to go away. I just wanted to be able to play like other kids my age. I didn't want to have this thing hanging around my head, you know? So, no, I don't believe there was anything I could have done that, that, that I, I, I didn't do. Yeah. You talk a lot in the book about
4: faith, balance, nature, all very important to you. Yeah,
18: um, the, the, I think belonging is something that I have come to realize is so important. Um, each of us needs a very deep sense of belonging. If we don't feel that we belong, well, then we're not going to survive Um, The classic example, we got the most beautiful little dog a couple of months back from one of the uh, dog rescue units here in Cork. And um, the most beautiful little crossbreed, but when we got him, he was petrified. He had made his way all the way from Limerick to Cork. Now, this little guy is only, he's probably about... 10 inches tall, you know, mm-hmm. little legs of a Jack Russell. He actually walked or ran from Limerick to Cork. How he got here, we have no idea. But we call him our little miracle dog because he has blessed our family with his presence. And therein is exactly what I mean by belonging. He now feels that he has this belonging. Trauma is slowly, you know, s- sort of distancing itself. from He's not as afraid as he was when we got him. He's learning to love. He's learning to trust. It's the very same with each and every one of us, um, except it's it's even more important because we are the only living creatures on this planet that, first of all, has this thing called consciousness. Now, that means that we're completely aware of everything that's going on, everything that's ever happened to us. We can predict what might happen to us. We can look ahead and hope something might happen or hope it doesn't happen. But unless we have that sense of belonging, whether it's a belonging to someone you love, a family that you know loves you, um, a a, a pet that you have if you live on your own, a family pet, a group you work with, a hobby you love doing, a job you love having. These are things that save your life. They give your life meaning. And that is so, so important, particularly in the current climate with with the COVID restrictions and lockdown. So many people's lives they almost feel as if they're unraveling because they're losing this sense of belonging. Jesus, like, what do I belong to anymore? I'm stuck at home. What I thought I belonged to or what I thought was my purpose in life is no longer making any sense to me. There's no more meaning left. And I hear this more and more and people are saying, I've reached my limit. I can't take any more. And I, the, the thing I always say to anyone when you're saying that is, no, no, no. What you've got to do now is you've got to step back. You've got to, first of all, go back and think to yourself, what was it that I felt I belonged to? And it's the same when you're critically ill or when if you have cancer and you're living from week to week in the hope that the treatment you're on will work in the long term. You, you, you really need that sense of belonging so that life still has a meaning, life still has a purpose for you. And that's why I think it was very important for me to go away and work on that before I wrote this. Because when I got diagnosed, all of the sense of meaning and purpose in my life just collapsed.
4: Yeah. And it's back now very much, I sense.
18: Yeah. I, I It is, yeah. I, I have to kind of brush it down and sort of um, give it a good talking to and listen to it on a daily basis. You know, because there are days when... it it is very, very difficult to look too far ahead. So what I try to do um, is to sort of keep it in the day, almost like a kind of a 12-steps guideline, you know, and any of the great 12-step groups will tell you it's all in the day. Keep it in the day. Hmm. That's
4: what gets you through. Mm -hmm. Are you frightened about... Look, you many times in the book, you refer to yourself as having a terminal illness and you talk about, there's an incredible passage where you talk about having it first put to you that you had a terminal illness and the anger within you, first of all, and then the despair after that. Where are you now? I think myself, Gareth, if I was in your position, I would be terrified.
18: Yeah, that's a really good question. I, you know, we, we, Paula and I have talked about this quite a lot. I, I, I spent two weeks in hospital in June two thousand and eighteen, and the official diagnosis was given to me by two neurologists at the end of the fortnight. Um, because it's such a a serious diagnosis with terrible prognostic implications.
4: Um, for want of a better expression, your body will stop working bit mm. by bit by bit.
18: Yeah, your central nervous system, which makes up most of your brain, that's the, the, the factory of the central nervous system is your brain. And from there, everything that you can touch and get a sensation of feeling from, your, your speech, your heart beating, your lungs breathing, your digestive system working, your bowels, your bladder your kidneys, they are all controlled by the central nervous system. And this illness, what it does is everything stops working. Absolutely everything stops working. You can no longer do anything, not even engage with people.
4: You're frightened of that, I
18: think. I'm terrified of that. I, I really am terrified of that. I, I don't think it will happen for quite a while. But then that said, I have seen friends of mine who I've made as a result of you know, getting to know each other as a result of this diagnosis. It's a very rare illness. There are only about three hundred people in Ireland so far who have been diagnosed with it. Since I've had it, five of five people I've known have died uh, two very suddenly. So yeah, th- th- there is that terrible terror there that that if you were to look very far ahead, there is that level of just severe lack of any quality of life.
4: Um, We hope that you are far, far away from that. You drive drive yourself on day after day after day. I was privileged to be at your wedding last year with Paula Mm -hmm. and such a wonderful, wonderful day full of joy and hope and positivity. That's the way you try to live.
18: Yeah, that's the only way to live. You have to say to yourself, no, wait a minute. That's way, way out there. It could be two years, five years, six years, seven years. You don't know. They say with this that there is an unexpected steep decline that suddenly comes. Um, And they're the words that most people with this illness are quite frightened of, steep decline. It means that suddenly it picks up such a ferocious speed that it begins to progress at at, um, a horrific speed, at a pace. But um, thankfully, I'm not, at that, I'm not at that stage. So I'm, I'm blessed. I feel blessed that um, I'm surrounded by people who love me, who look after me. I love them. I look after them. And that's why I think it's very, very important, whatever it is you might have been diagnosed with, if it's quite critical or chronic, that you have to live and think within the day. Because the joy is within the day as you call it, that word joy is so important because if if joy is absent from your life, well then it's very very difficult to find meaning.
4: I know that you had no choice in the matter. Your health dictated that you had no choice in the matter, but do you miss the radio?
18: I do, yeah. (laughs) I miss my listeners um, because they they have been very loyal over the 40 years, most of them, who go back that far. But I... I, I did have to give it up because, unfortunately, one of the things they warn you about with this condition is that you have to try to avoid anxiety. If, if you let anxiety get in on you, it speeds up the progress of the condition, which I don't want to happen. So, therefore, I was told, look, you're working in a very stressful environment, which I was. And um, I had to make the decision which I, I, I must say I made fairly quickly because it, my, my good feeling at that stage was, well, if I'm feeling this unwell now and I continue doing this work and working this hard and working these long hours, how am I going to feel in six months' time? Or spending a little less but living an awful lot more because you don't know how much quality time you have. So what you really should be doing is you really should be saying, I am going to live my life fuller, more fully than I've ever lived it in the past. So yes, that's where the joy comes from. It comes from knowing that I have simplified things, that I have literally packed away and locked it and buried it, all of the stuff that was what was originally the nine to five of my life. And I had to do that. And I'm I'm so glad that I did. Well, the book is
4: a revelation, even to those of us who know you. To those who don't, it'll be a fascinating story of a life well-lived to date with plenty more living to do, my friend. Thank you so much for being with me today.
18: DJ, it's been a pleasure. And uh, as soon as one of the pubs opens around here, either you let me know or I let you know.
4: I'm so proud to call that man, my friend, Gareth O'Callaghan, on his new book, which is called What Matters Now. I recommend... You try the audiobook If you've never done one before, he does it himself, and it's, it's fantastic. That is it for today. The program edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Maureen Tuig. And we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.
7: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods,